Welcome to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective. Presented to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome once again to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective. My name is Nathan. And I am Archbishop Bob. And uh, I just want to go over real quick just a couple of little things. If you're not familiar with our podcast, if you've only listened to a couple of our episodes, just to kind of give you an idea of our formatting. When we talk about it being a retrospective, that means that we're literally reviewing every book from the earliest release all the way up to the latest. So if you have a favorite book, if you have a book that you want us to review, we'll get to it. Trust us. Um, It's just we're doing them one at a time, whether we like the book or not. Uh, Having said that, we're reviewing a book that I think both of us enjoy immensely. Uh, I was pretty excited about this. Also, I want to say, if I sound a little nasally, I'm a little sick. So <laughs> please uh, please bear with us. I'm going to do my best to get through this without snorting and snotting too much on Mike. And I agree with you, Nate. I, the, the book I'm holding in my hand right now is, is a timepiece. I have the actual Sabat Player's Guide from when I was a kid, and I bought it back in Arkansas, good old Arkansas. I want to say I was 15, 16 when I have it, something like that. Well, it was 92. Um, than so, when it came out so yeah. yeah you may have you may have purchased it later on i know that uh, they didn't update the sabbat as far as like you know revising it until revised came out which was like eight years later so uh they also have the storyteller's handbook to the sabbat which is going to be later on down the road but this is the first official sabbat release this no, is like the unveiling no i had it i was 13 yeah yeah yep. it, it distinctly is possible um but uh, yeah, this one came out in 92. This is one of the last two books to come out in 92. There's one other one after this, obviously the one we're going to re- review next. But uh, this is like, a, it's profound, really. It's <laughs> it's like a whole additional game released, you know, and, and the Sabbat is referenced in all the previous books. Like we've mentioned it before a number of times, but it's never ironed out. We even, we even built it up. It's coming. It's right, coming. Right, right. And it's here. Right. That's, <laughs> Absolutely. that's a good thing. And uh, it starts off right away, just telling you what the Sabbat is, what their organization is, what their motivations are, and the subtle differences between the Sabbat and the Camarilla. And actually, some of them are not subtle. They're quite profound. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little hot here. <laughs> yeah, it's 65 degrees, uh, and it's February, so it's a little weird. Yeah, global not warming. So Yeah, and we're, we're in Chicago, so that's even weirder. It was freezing yesterday. <laughs> yeah, and today I'm taking off clothes and wearing shorts, so that should tell you. Uh, and it, it goes on to tell you in the beginning here that all the Sabbat are free from the blood bonds to a master vampire. And, you know, blood bonds, is it, it, it's a strong factor in the Camarilla, very strong factor. And they tell you how, you know, these Sabbat packs are bound to each other using a new ritual that strengthens loyalty but uh, eschews subservience to vampiric masters and it's been said that ritual is the codifying thing about the sabbat when you get down to it other than the structure and organization like any organization that's the bureaucracy behind it but what makes them different that blood bond that actually we'll call it is is the valdry is what it's called is what makes the sabbat sabbat that's how they don't internally cannibalize one another right not to say that there hasn't been a little bit of that as well. Oh, of but. course there has. Of course there has. <laughs> yeah. But it's a world of different. Well, we're ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Because we, we go historically through all that and how they take care of it. And uh, they're uh, they're going to talk about here in this first this first chapter 
some of the rumors of the Sabbat, uh, some of them maybe are true. Some of them are patently false. Some of them might have a kernel of truth. Um, the first one they talk about is the Sabbat being controlled by the Bruja elders. The Bruja clan is also believed to have deposed the venture leader of the Camarilla. This allows the clan to pit the two opposing sects against one another while advancing its own secret schemes. Now, we already reviewed the Bruja clan book. I think we're pretty familiar <laughs> with the Bruja by now. We can probably file that under untrue. It is It is an untruth. It is definitely an untruth. Uh, the Anarchs are in league with the Sabbat, acting as spies for them and recruiting and recruiters from within the enemy. Yeah, probably also not true. It, it depends. Like, it's a grain, it's a grain of salt. Right. It's a grain of salt. So is the, uh, so is the Bruja one. Because we're looking at what people see and think. Right. Have the Bruja anti, Bruja anti-tribu, the anti-tribe, as it stands for, um, have they been a codifying force for them? Yes. Right. Is the, but clearly not the way they see it. Uh, have Anarch spied for the Sabbat? Yes, they they've had oh, yeah, Sabbat yeah, conscripted absolutely. to do that, or Anarchs to prove themselves had to recruit more people. In fact, um, there's a opening story in the books later on. In fact, it's the next version of this book that actually talks about an Anarch. Well, really, the Anarch tells you his story of his ins and outs of being a Sabbat member, right? Still as a recruiter. So, but that's not entirely true that that's all the Anarchs do. So. Um, let's move on a little bit. I don't want to go through all these because yeah, just I was looking for a really weird one. They they do got a couple. Here's one: uh, certain Sabbat vampires know a ritual that allows them to move freely in daylight for short periods of time. Right, <laughs> and and kind of that's true. If you read through this this book, you see some of the rituals that they have. Although it's definitely a little bit more uh, involved than that. Not not quite yes. that simple. <laughs> So moving on, uh, they have uh, obviously the views of the Sabbat on non-kindred lupines, hunters, the arcanum, mages, etc. And you can read through all that. That's Well, they're important. They're important to understand because this is now we're inside the Sabbat. Right. We're now in it. We're now in it to what the common, when we're talking about the views, Sabbat 101, you were just brought into a pack. And they're gonna, someone's going to give you the rundown, right? Someone's going to give you the lay of the land, what it looks like. And we can shorten these up, though. We don't have to read them verbatim. So the view on the Sabbat views on antediluvians as common parlance. This is what the Lasambra and the Zemis have used to fuel the younger elements of the Sabbat to keep them going. And that view is that the antediluvians are the evil vampire gods. They're going to wake up to eat everybody enslave and kill and eat everybody right and specifically the camarilla is the tool of that uh of, of those ancient uh monstrosities that are going to uh, arise and consume all the vampires let's be honest if, if you're a vampire and you're not sabat you're a tool of the antediluvian yeah that's that's pretty much an that's basically how it goes yeah. the camarilla more so but yes anybody else yep. you're either it's it's either you're with us or against us and that's the thing about the sabat the sabat is is more so a martial faction that believe that they're in a holy war and if we look at the time when this was released they talk a lot about jihad they talk about the ancient war that goes on in the darkness the sabbat have said we're not going to be slaves we're not going to kowtow to the ancients and the elders and this is a holy war for our survival and the camarilla doesn't see it that way they just see the sabbat as uh, unruly disgusting monstrosities that uh, act against them you know f for the the, the common camarilla modern. right and the other part of that is, is that when you look at the camarilla exactly as nate said it it's really a tool right 
if we tell you the antediluvians are going to wake up and eat us, but the antediluvians aren't awake yet. So then what should we be fearing right now? We should fear this organization over here. Right. That's in the way. Right. That's the point. We get rid of them though. Then we're winning this war. We don't, we won't have their army to contend with when they arise. Uh, Views on the Anarchs. This is pretty straightforward. So the Sabbat's origins, their roots comes from, they're the, they're the original Anarchs. They're from that same pool. And how that works out is that their view on them is yes, freedom. And we have it, but freedom comes at a price. And in the Sabbat, that price is war. You have to war with these antediluvians. And their view on the Anarchs is they get it, but they don't get it. Right. Like you're free for no reason. You have no purpose, no direction. Join us, brothers. Join us, sisters. Let's unite and truly be free and fight this fucking war. Right. Because the Sabbat has a perspective. And that perspective, which we've already explained, it doesn't really curry much sideline action. And they see the Anarchs as a whole as sideline action. Yes, you're removing yourself from the Camarilla, but you're not doing anything to fight against them, to see the true evil. And it, it really comes down to it's a very conspiratorial mindset. We are the Sabbat. We know the truth. Right. And everybody else who doesn't know the truth and who isn't taking an active effort against it is just as bad. And if you think about it, this is a... They do a beautiful job at White Wolf. We had this Anarch War we talked about and this fallout that made the Camarilla, the Anarchs, the Sabbat. And if you look at it from this angle, the Sabbat's angle, they seem like the survivors of it from the original, from the onset, that said, this is why we were warring with their elders. This is why we were opposing them, is because they're keeping this shit secret. Right. And so let's form our own organization that'll battle this stuff. Right. And that's what you get. And when you roll from that, from the Anarch perspective to the Camarilla elders... It's interesting, number one, that they cite, what's the view on Camarillo Elders from the Sabbat? You would think it's pretty carte blanche. Actually, it's not, because they are the exact enemy. Right. They say the Camarillo as a whole were opposed, so we would topple that organization, but we wouldn't kill the young necessarily. We'd give them a shot to turn around. Right. But we would kill the elders, because they're never coming around. Right. They're because- looking to enslave or they're looking to be a part of right. the Antediluvians. Because these, are, way, these, these elders, for the most part, are the same individuals that brought the Anarch Revolt to a heel, that made these Anarchs submit to rulership. They're the ones that initiated the curse of the Asimite clan. They're the ones that uh, had every desire to hunt down and kill the Sombra and the Zemis for what they did and brought all those other clans. When the, the Bruja elders abandoned the Anarch Revolt, they abandoned the Sabbat those people said we're not going to submit we're not going to come into the fold and submit to you elders so these are the, the exact people that have basically brought us to that point point. and then of course we have the Inkanu. the Inkanu is that ancient group i say ancient loosely they're ancient by age or generation or both and i say that term a lot because you got to explain all angles on it but the Inkanu was the group that is just watching and no one really knows what for and the Sabbat have kind of picked up on the fact that these guys exist. And really, there are two mindsets on it. On one end, these guys would probably be their allies at the end of days. So if the Antediluvians woke up, more likely than not, these specific Methuselahs would go to bat to make sure that they don't get ate because it's in their best interest to do it. However, right now, all they're doing is observing. So in the Sabbat's warlike mentality, just kill them all. Because if the Inkanu's not going to help, then their food is essentially what it boils down to. And that's and that's a profound logic because right. they they argue that yes they would be an asset when it happened but if they're not going to join us now 
we're best to eat them. Right. And, and at the end of the day, yeah, they're watching now, but they could be just as bad when when uh, Gehenna comes, when the Antediluvians rise. And why curry them to exist, to be another enemy at the end times. And then, of course, we got the view and the Asimites, a favorite clan of mine. And I find this profoundly hysterical. Uh, the Sabbat fears the Asimites. And they fear them in the point of they know how close their their religious dogma is to that of their antediluvian. And they highlight it here saying that, you know, hey, we get it. They were they were cursed, but we have the ones that weren't. Uh, they go by the title Unconquered. And here's the threat. They're only with us now <laughs> because they're eating everybody else. But when this Hakeem guy wakes up, we don't know where they're going to go. Right. Are they going to go back to the former roles that all or not as tell us that they're just going to be shepherds of us and kill the worst of us? That doesn't sound like freedom. Right. So what do we do? Well, right now we don't do anything because they say flat out we would destroy them, but it would be a Pyrrhic victory. Yeah. They're the only clan they ever point this out at. They know that if they go after them, holy shit. Right. And then what's going to be left of the Sabbat at the end of it? So what they say is, eh, well, I'll eye them. We have them. They're in here. They're in the black hand mostly. It's where we like him. <laughs> and uh, that's that's it. Right. Right. And then uh, we move on to the Giovanni. And I think this is uh, perhaps one of the greatest <laughs> uh, mis, uh, misguided views on that clan. Basically, they say, eh, they're no threat. Uh, they just deal in mortal affairs. So, eh, whatever. Fuck them. We're, we we don't have an opinion on them either way. They they just are what they are. They're not a risk to us. Anybody that knows the Giovanni clan knows. Uh, maybe not so much that's the case. It, well, <laughs> they're one of those people that, hey, one day right. we're, we're going to be big. Right. We're going to be huge. <laughs> one day we're growing. We're eating our, we're eating our blood. We're right. going to be just as big as you. Right. But, but not now. But, not uh, right now. And also, that's just a fundamental sort of... Uh, uh, that's something about the Giovanni that they've cultivated. They've done the work in their own lab. They're glad the Sabbat looks at them that way. And same thing with the Camarilla. Hey, we're we're just we're just these guys. We just deal with banks and money and just leave us alone. Let us ignore do our us, thing. Ignore us. There's right. an important reason. Let's not get too much into them. Right. Because that's another fun, fun clan. Uh, followers of Set. Um, I think you could assume what the Sabbat, burn them. Right. Fuck them. There's no. I mean, it's it's. We need to extrapolate on it they serve an antediluvian they're dead do not pass go uh they talk about the ravno and the ravno uh their desire for freedom they are a clan known to be uh, uh desires of freedom i found um, it unique they refer to him as a powerful clan yeah well you know you have to remember this is uh this is the first this is an old you know an old perspective on this clan and you know where they go later on and what they become or how they're rewritten the ravno have never been big no. even even at this point they've never been big they it's just that simple i mean we'll get to the ravno but the ultimate part is is that of all the clans that they've made the ravno have always been the ones who are kind of eh, we're here they're only well known for their clan discipline that's it there's no there's no dramatic thing they've done. Oh, and being assholes, but we'll get to them later. But <laughs> right. That's that's how that is. But the Sabbat don't they respect them. Right. Uh the Arcanum, uh, which is another thing, uh, we really don't ever focus on that that group at all, but basically a bunch of mortals who uh, Remember your Hunters podcast. We right, had that on right. there. Right. And and this is the same thing. It, it's you know, they said that they don't really know much about the Sabbat, uh, but their true goal is to find out those secrets. And if they do, the Sabbat's gonna destroy them. 
That, it, that and and one thing that is really key here is that the way that they describe the Sabbat in this, they seem to be a very secretive sect. You know, they they they're not sharing their information. They're not sure. They don't want anybody to know about them. They don't want anybody to know the truth about what that sect is. And and it holds. They've they've always been that way. They <clears throat> right. never let that up. But that's the point, right? I mean, if everybody knows your business, it's the best way to yeah. get infiltrated. Uh, views on lupines straight out. It says in the first sentence, the werewolves should be destroyed. I was going to say you could flip a coin and guess. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're a threat to Sabbat security. They weaken the Sabbat. They prey off in nomadic packs. Moving right along. Uh, the Magi, or the Mages, uh, they should be avoided. Despite their mortality, they're powerful. Anybody that's played Mage kind of understands why that would be the case. <laughs> um, moving on to Mortals. They're no danger. They're lambs. They should be exploited. Uh, eat them or what have you as you deem fit. Simple enough. Uh, views on the Inquisition, Society of Leopold, Leopold, and Witch Hunters. Always interesting. They yeah. use them. Right. They use them. They say they could be a fun night, or they're going to kill some enemies, because no respecting Sabbat pack is going to get done in by some hunters, right. and the Sabbat pack that does was too weak to be Sabbat. And then uh, that brings us right along to the lexicon. Now, this is really, I think, it's fundamentally important for anyone who has not played Sabbat before. You don't want to skip this because this is this is going to bring to us the first time all these different terms that are used by the Sabbat. And there are a ton and they're significantly different than the, the Camarilla. You know, things like names of followers of different paths of enlightenment, the different positions within packs within the Sabbat itself and its hierarchy. You already nailed it on the head. I mean, to read this, we know the terms. Right. To list it would be a little dry, but I will say this. We'll point out the important facts. When we refer to anti-tribute, we literally mean anti-tribe. Right. It is the opposite of what the main clan is. It's best to look at it that way. It's what it is. Right. One of the, the Lasambra or the Shamase, they, the, the whole of their clan belongs to the, the Sabbat. If a member of that clan belonged to the Camarilla, they would be considered anti-tribute. Likewise, the Bruja or the Ventru, those, the bulk of their clan belongs to the Camarilla. If they're in the Sabbat, they're considered anti-tribute. So another term to get into is Octoritas Rite. Again, we're getting into the nomenclature. Like the lexicon is all filled with deep roots into Catholicism yeah. and titles that we're using Latin and whatnot. And that speaks more to the structure and organizational hierarchy that they chose to go with. And it actually helps. Well, it helps if you're a good Catholic person like myself, or, or really anybody who's familiar with a lot of horror films, too. You can get that down, or anyone who's just been a fan of knowing Ecclesiarchy rankage. Right. Um, it'll help you uh, to, to know it, because it's exactly how a lot of this is ranked up, title-wise. But there are specific terms that get a little a little weird. Um, I didn't explain it all. I apologize. Arturitas Rite is the, uh, the group of rituals practiced by all Sabbat. I want to be specific about this because this is not the thaumaturgical rituals. This isn't hedge magic rituals. It's not even werewolf, nothing, nothing ritual um, that you've ever read that'll be a power or a statistic. Right. What these rituals are, it's what they practice to be Sabbat. Right. It's what makes them different. So all these rituals are designed for unification, punishment, or new creation rights. Right. It's another good one. And they can all be vastly different regionally and and if you if you think about the sabbat as kind of a twisted version of the catholic church the catholic church has its rituals too those rituals <laughs> those rituals are grounded in the catholic church and they're going to be the, the entire sect is sort of like a twisted dark reflection of that hierarchy and of that religion 
and uh, that's where these these rite come from, uh, or rite. That's where they come from. Other distinction is that you have some uh, terms like wild hunt. Wild hunt is conceptually just like a normal blood hunt. Difference is they throw this out on the wire. A wild hunt will be told citywide and whatever context those people have in that city to get the word out that this person should be killed by the Sabbat. So in the Camarilla, when you get blood hunted in a city, you can just go to another city and not worry about it. In the Sabbat, you get wild hunted, people form what they call war parties. And what a war party is is exactly what it sounds like. It's a group that gets together with one goal, to hunt down the offender and diabolize the offender. Because that's, that's the prize, is that you get to stake them and reclaim their blood. You get to eat their soul, is what it comes down to, and steal their vampiric power. Everybody wants that prize. But within that war party, every member of that war party is called a brave. And that distinction is to know that you are choosing to participate in this wild hunt. You can choose not to, which is unique, because in the Camarilla, when you're blood hunting in a city, if you are in good standing, you have to hunt that person. You have to. If someone finds out that you let a blood hunted member go, they can lump you right in with the same problem right. that guy had. However, in the Sabbat, if a person who's wild hunting comes running through and you're not part of that war party and you don't do anything, you're the one missing out. Right. Because they're going to get got. And at the end of the day, it's, it's, not, it's not the same as a blood hunt in the Camarilla because the Camarilla is not a bunch of individuals that are essentially honor bound and loyalty bound to their religious sect. The Camarilla, it really is just a collection of individuals that live under the umbrella of the society for their own protection. There isn't really a lot of unification and zeal for the Camarilla with the Sabbat there is. Someone dishonors the sect, someone betrays the sect, of course you're going to want to go after them. Not necessarily for the prize, but because those individuals have betrayed something that you hold sacred and dear. So there is a big difference. And I think, too, it, it bears... Speaking on, you know, some people have like, oh, I don't I don't want to play the Sabbat because I, I don't really get them or they just seem like these roving madmen. And sure, on the surface, that's the case. But it's it's definitely a lot more than that. It is a, a, a mirror reflection of the Camarilla, but totally from a dark perspective. You can use them that way, by all means. I mean, I remember yeah. reading it, too. Uh, it was a good comment that was left where they were talking about they only ever saw them as bullies. Right. They only ever use them to harass or separate players in the group specifically. And I appreciate the comment. Please have more. But to that comment, I agree. I agree with you. If you've been using them that way, you're using them correctly for as far as you're aware of. But after this podcast, rethink and relook at this about because what happens is um, what Nate already said is that they're a dark reflection of the Camarilla. They're, it's impossible for them not to be because they're still vampires no matter what. And vampires know one thing. It's a basic template that they've hammered down. The older you get, the more power you cultivate. And, and you cultivate power through pawns. The more pawns you got, that is a direct representation of your power. And the Sabbat has their elders just like the Camarilla does. Difference is, the Sabbat openly maintains war groups at a drop of a hat. They're not going to talk to you if you're a rival. They're going to deal with you. You're going to die. That is just how, how it works with them. That's what they're going to do. That said, and maybe this is a little hard far ahead, but I, because it's addressing that point, keep in mind what a Camarilla elder would be willing to do to reach across the pond, as it were, to establish a, uh, a mutual agreement to eliminate a threat that they have to deal with in the Camarilla, i.e. Justicar so-and-so keeps sending archons to breathe down your neck because a long time ago you did diabolize your sire. 
you said your sire died fighting anarchs in the L.A. uprising. Your archons recently went to L.A. and had to do some other on-the-side project with some problem. Started talking to people and learned your sire was never there. Hmm. Never, ever visit L.A. Well, now you got this Justicar looking into your business, wants a drop of your blood or what have you. You want to stop that before it gets to that. You may be willing to make a deal as a primogen in whatever position you have to deal with the Sabbat elder that you know of from when you were coming up. Cause remember just cause you're in the Sabbat, you're mortal, right? You're still a vampire centuries ago. You may not have been a Sabbat member. You guys may have been talking and you may be on different sides of the political fence. You might be willing to make a deal with that person you met in your past specifically because they are Sabbat because they're willing to do what you can't. All you're going to do is drop the dime in the justice car, set it up. Sabat ambush war party. It's that simple. It seems simplified that I put it that way. I don't mean to make it so comical or like they're a corporation that just sits around waiting for hit squads. It's definitely not. However, the Sabat is not always, I'm, I'm ahead. The Sabat is also not the boogeyman that you're sitting around with. They're these monstrous creatures that can't control themselves. They clearly are. Right. They're clearly capable of controlling them. In fact, they're evolved. Right. When it comes to terms of vampire, I look at it this way. The Camarilla are those people who have yet to realize that the human side they're clinging to is also their damnation. Well, and, and that, that was a part of the thing that I wanted to just mention. Hang on. The, the other side of that point, before yeah. I forget that, yeah. is that the Sabbat would be the absolute dissolution. Or excuse me, dissolution is what I'm looking for. They eat their humanity to become something else entirely. Right. They're evolved. Right. They're more vampire than the Camarilla is all right. I'm saying. And that was a major reason why the Sabbat was always appealing to me because I felt like, okay, you have these immortal creatures that are essentially clinging to their uh, what they were in life, and you are not that anymore, and you, right. you can never be that again. And for the Sabbat, these were individuals that said, we're not that anymore. We're, we're, we are different. We, we are evolved or you know what have you. And as such, we think differently. We act differently. We, we have a different uh, morality that that pushes us. And so that was always the appeal for me because I liked acting. I liked vampires, but I don't want to just pretend to be another guy that's also a vampire. I wanted to take it that that additional step and go. That's what I was then. I'm. I've died. I've evolved. I've become something else. You know, so that was always the major appeal for me. So, and it's good because you need that mentality. I mean, that's you said it best right there. The Sabbat wants you to become something else, they need you to become something else because you will become something. And that's a common theme. Uh, they have templates in this book, you'll see it again later on, where that is the number one way to tell if somebody's really a Sabbat member who they were before, it's forgotten about. If you look at the history templates for Camarilla vampires, they'll go all into who they were. Right. And what they are and what they're struggling with and all that. The Sabbat washes their hands of that. And it's about what I've done as a sect member today. Now, the uh, other term, covens. Covens have to be addressed because they're the antithesis, not antithesis, they're the opposite of um, nomadic or nomads, if you will. Right. What a coven is, a coven's established. They stay in a city. It's a pack or group of vampires, really. It's interchangeable. Um, they exist in a city. So we'll just say Montreal, which is a big... Uh, Sabat town. Uh, they have a coven. They're there. No big deal. Everyone who lives there would be considered part of a coven. However, you would have a group like, let's say your player characters who are a bunch of gangrel anti-tribute 
or what have you. And they go around. They travel Sabbat stronghold to stronghold. They never stay anywhere long enough for it to matter to put up roots. Those are nomads. And if you've seen any sort of biker show, <laughs> they make the same distinction. You'll see that same hierarchy, right? They say that, you know, you're either an MC, right? Right. And then uh, you're, you're in that motorcycle club, you're members of it, or you're a nomad, which means you travel abroad, but still part of that MC. Right. And that's just how it goes. That same organization is thrown in here in sort of a hodgepodge, right? Because they pulled up pieces from everywhere, right? Because Catholic Church is definitely in here. Here we see, oh, well, it's interesting somewhere else. And I remember the term brave. That's pulling from another culture. Right. But all three of those areas help form who the Sabbat is. Yeah. Okay. Here's another term. Was this going to get, I've, I'm asked this a lot, actually. So what's an ignoblis rite? And it's in here. An ignoblis rite are rituals practiced by certain packs within the Sabbat, but not by all Sabbat members. Right. So the octoritis rite, those are the official. Everyone those knows these. Practice sect-wide. Exactly. So think Catholic Church. Rome does these. The Vatican does these rituals. Right. Every damn diocese better do these rituals to some degree. Rome has spoken. Right. But in that diocese, they'll have their own stuff as well. Right. Won't be exact because it's also based on who your community is. Right. And what they're about. And you'll adapt. And, uh, you know, it's very important to note that every pack is going to be different. You know, if you think about like uh, a movie like The Warriors, all the little gangs are essentially sabat packs. Perfect. They can be replaced with them very easily, and they all have their little, you know, whether they dress the same or you know they, they you know they have their rallying cry or, or whatever. You know those those individual packs are all going to have their ignoble. They're going to have their ignoblest rite that they do among themselves. Their rituals that they practice within their pack, based on that pack's personality. Now there's terms in here because I don't remember reading in the book where they distinguish those out. They don't go over pack structure or who's what. Well, they, they do mention the uh, the priest. They mention the ductus, um, and then do they here, distinguish them out all down? Uh, they, yeah, they do. And then yeah. in here, they also talk about the abbot, which is uh, uh, it's the very first uh, term in the Sabbat lexicon, where the abbot is like uh, he's the newbie, the guy that's got a he's in charge of making sure everybody's fed, does all their their you know daily chores and shit like that whatever it's not necessarily the newbie but he is the person that is trusted with it right i.e well here's an, here's what's interesting the abbot's more important than anybody in the pack who doesn't have a title yeah it's that simple if i'm the art if i'm the ductus and i have a priest and then i have the abbot those are your three titled positions in the pack nothing else necessarily needs matter now of your typical pack now of that i may be a pack of five for instance the uh -huh. other two could be more important than the abbot in terms of age or function, but not really because the abbot's going to be the one who hides your bodies, who does, like Nate just said, does all the all the stuff that needs to be done that they, the whole pack doesn't want to be bogged down doing. And the abbot takes care of that, including finding a haven, place to stay. I mean, important stuff. Also menial, you know, dry cleaning. If your pack's into that, <laughs> you're, you're going to need it. So important stuff. Uh, that's really it. I mean, the rest of the terminology is something that, you know, it's good to read. Um, but it's good to know, but it's not for the podcast, not for right now. You can still get the Sabbat in this book without that, but it's a very important part of the book. In your typical Sabbat pack, you have the role of a ductus. And what a ductus is, that title is an officiating title. Ductus reports to any higher member of uh, the Sabbat that he doesn't have to bring his pack, usually does. But let's say there's going to be a city meeting and your archbishop, which is synonymous with prince, 
um, would oversee that. Your ductus is your pack leader. This is the guy that makes all the calls for the pack, period. What you're going to do and how you're going to do it, in particular in a time of war. How this is different is that your priest is on the same level as the ductus, but the priest handles all the rituals. Right. It handles how the, and the spirituality governing the members of the pack, how that's going, and also are we operating in a capacity of the sabbat, a check and checks and balance for that ductus. Right. And it's a very important role because you have to you have to look at this from the perspective that the the stuff that the sabbat does, the horrors that they commit, there needs to be some sort of spiritual purpose to to guide your actions. So spirituality is huge. You know, think about it like this, like people that go out and commit heinous acts in the name of God. Right. They believe that they're doing it out of a place of virtue. They believe based on, you know, their, uh, their priests or their, um, uh, the people, uh, whatever. Right. Right. Th that's, and, and, and that's, that's what the point of your pack priest is to guide the spirituality of the pack to be aligned either to their personal beliefs or. A perfect example, because we use terms like this, right. to relate it modern, if you're having trouble kind of seeing this in your mind as you're reading this and you don't know about Sabbat, under, or even if you think you do, the term jihad, why we use it, we're not changing it to be a holy war and just saying it is a holy war, because that's what jihad is. It's a holy war. Well, holy to who? Well, if you look in terms of ISIS, extreme faith and the Muslim faith, and following it to the to the haiku letter, right? That's what they do, and look what they're doing. Terroristic acts to us, the majority of the world, to them, called a holy action. Right. They believe in the virtue of their activities. Same thing in a pack, because the imam in, in Islam is who actually governs the spirituality of his parishioners, and it's not parishioners, but... Uh, I don't know what it's called. I used to think of the term, but... Uh, of a souk, I don't know. I don't. I forget. That's my fault. I'm not trying to be insensitive. I used to know the term, but I know the Imam, and that's he guides in terms of the book of the Quran. Now that's the same function for a priest in the Sabbat. It truly is because we have to monitor. Think fresh meat, right? You're just embracing the Sabbat. However, the ritual is. We'll go with the typical cheesy one. You're hit over the head with a shovel and right. buried in a graveyard. Right. And, and it's not even that it's typical cheesy. That's literally the creation right in the book. It's not right. until later that we get a little bit more nuanced as far as like. Well, they, it's not even nuanced. It's like I don't have a problem with it being in the book, but I right. think people took it to the ridiculous level. Right. Oh, of course, of course. Right. But but that's, because, you know, that's what they knew. <laughs> right. Well, because the well because the idea well they knew damn well better. I mean, this is what I mean by the tip. If you've run the Sabbat before and someone's gonna be a player it was i get hit in the head with an actual shovel i get put in the ground and i gotta claw my way out yeah all right now let's do some tests to see if i get out that was the live action version which was crap right what it meant is in tabletop we bury the sabbat underground because we need to strip them of their humanity right you are fucking dead and how we show that with the creation right is we disable you however that is right we drain you of all your blood and we leave you with the barest amounts in it as you're and that we pour back vampirically so the process of embrace is drain you of all your blood and i replace it with vampiric vitae now if i did if i do that right you come back as a vampire and hopefully i gave you enough blood to where you're not frenzying you're just hungry so i can guide you through your feeding however in the sabbat there's usually like three to five of us in a pack sometimes more if you're my friends and you're standing around this dug-in graveyard this dug-in um, grave and you're grabbing this new person and all of you would ritualistically drain that person as they're alive. 
and bring them to nothing. So get that image of interview with the vampire right. where the theater of vampires pick up that woman on stage and they begin draining her. And then Armand, calm the ductus if it helps you, sweeps his arm away to get them all to fall back. Right? So reverse that order, but the, you get the point. But the point is when they lay the person on stage in interview with the vampire, they're laying, you're actually laying a person in the grave of your sabbat. And then you're throwing all that dirt on top of them, every six feet of it. The point is, we're not going to go and watch. Two things can happen to that vampire down below. Either they have the strength to claw their way out that night and come up frenzying because it's that lust to live, that er that beast. They rode it all the way to the top and that vampiric power demanding sustenance. That's a Sabbat vampire to them. And it truly it is. It's the spirit of what they are. Or... They were too weak to come out. They couldn't do it. They couldn't deal with it. Right. Now, they're not dead. They're down there going ravenously insane. And they leave them there. And that's one of the colder ways a Sabbat looks at it. We're not looking to coddle you and kind of nurse you along. It's either you come out a warrior or you're, right. you it, stay, it, stay buried. It is uh, Darwinian. It is literally <clears throat> Darwinian. But uh, to that structure... If your ductus is the guy in charge, your priest is the, well, we'll just say HR, <laughs> if that helps you. and uh, Or priest is the priest. You know, he's there to make sure you're right. good, even on behalf of the ductus. Now, and then you have your abbot. The abbot causes the, or helps the function of the pack, get the cars, dispose of bodies, provide blood, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those are important roles. Three distinctive important roles in the pack. Everybody else is a straight up soldier. And that's that. And that's one pack. Now we jump up from that to, well, who's in charge after that? Well, in a given city, now we're looking at a coven for a city of Sabbat. So like Montreal, you would have bishops and Montreal's a big city. So in Montreal, we'd have a couple bishops, right? Because what a bishop actually does that title is that they supervise, they supervise an area of the city on behalf of the archbishop. Now where this is different in the Camarilla, you have a prince that prince has a body of advisors that are called the primogen. Right, right. the primogen, his sheriff, etc. Collectively, the primogen, the prince, would govern the city and control them as they will, or they don't have the control and shame on them. And the sabbat, the archbishop, dictates what bishop is covering an area, and that bishop has to fit foe. Right. There is no, I couldn't do it. Right, and, and typically it's not a situation of, well, we buffer against the prince, for you know our collective right. needs as an elder it's we we're working in unison <laughs> we're we are in control of the city we're working to maintain that control in the camera there's a, there's a breach of the masquerade a prince would smugly listen to his contacts call him based on this breach the sheriff and what have you etc but wouldn't say anything because he's waiting for the primogen to call him to let him know he took care of the problem. Even though the prince already had people in place and those prospective influences to handle the problem, that's how that goes. And the sabbat, the archbishop, knows the bishops that are in charge of said influence or said part of the city. So in that situation, if I'm Warlord Bob and I'm in Chicago and Nate's my bishop and Nate's my bishop of media specifically, I know that there is a gang war style brawl that erupted because uh between my sabbat and the city two packs not getting along had it out in public i'll handle that later vampirically right now i need to handle that problem because we got to eat still and whereas i'm not killing anyone over it i'm going to get to the bottom of it i want to make sure those mortals st stay shut how do i do that well i call up bishop nate 
who's in charge of media. And I gave him a chunk of territory to watch too. I didn't just tell him, Hey, everything media is you. I told him set up shop wherever you're going to have it. That's what I'm allowing you to have. How are we handling this media situation? And Bishop Nate reports. It's that simple because the Bishop has to, but the Bishop to any group of pack coming to the city, he's law. Like if you come to a city, there ain't no sheriff in the Sabbat. <laughs> right. But that bishop's a badass. Believe you right that that bishop can lay the smack down on a peck that walks in. He has his own protectors. Now, why I mentioned the bishop in that scenario, a bishop's going to have himself a Templar, guaranteed. Any city worth their salt is going to have one to two Templars per bishop on up. Why this is, is that a Templar is an assigned badass to a person of ecclesiarch- uh, was a person of sabbat standing. So a bishop in a city, you want to fortify them. You want to make sure they're protected. Right. Nate may not be, he controls the media. That's great. But he may not be an ancient. Right. He may just, he may be a fellow Bruja auntie who just is, he could throw a punch or two, but he couldn't take on a group. Well, we're going to make sure Templar, whatever his name is going to be sitting at his side. So if stuff goes south, that Templar is going to protect the bishop and get him out of harm's way. Bar none. That Templar is going to have a rep. Now, what a Templar is, is just what you're thinking. If you're thinking that a knight term, it is, and that's exactly what it is. It's a protector, and it came from the whole knight era, the whole medieval. Right. The opposite of a Templar is a paladin. A paladin is an assassin. If somebody's going to get their legs broken, if somebody's going to get hurt, that archbishop or bishop's going to send a paladin to do it. It's that simple. And they pull influence for that to have it. And the Sabbat has no no shortage of people who can be bestowed these titles, these titles. And, and it also in, in here, it also denotes that these individuals cannot be members of the black hand. Right <laughs> now, what the black hand is, cause that term is in here defined. Right. It is the martial hand of the sect. These are feared professional killers that the Sabbat has at their disposal in terms of the higher ups. So what does this mean? Simply put, all the political hoopla and yeah, we're all Sabbat and cool. We're in packs and then covens and whatever. We are not black hand. Right. They're like the special forces or the secret police. Of they're the, the, of the actual Sabbat. military. Right. For the Sabbat. When they're taking over a city, it's being officiated by the seraphim and the black hand. They're the ones really feeling it. Everyone else was offered the blood and the souls who they can get. But what the black hand's doing is they're shutting down influence. They're taking out important elders. They're distracting certain sheriffs. They're distracting certain ghouls. Anyone who could be a problem, if they don't get shut down, the black hand's there to do that first, while we let the riffraff go through and handle whatever hell else they want to. And, you know, in other words, the riffraff serve as a distraction. I love when I'm turning down the wrong person. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're good. You're good. So, now that we have that, so we have the bishop, we have the idea of what that is, Um, we go straight up to the archbishop, uh, because we explain Templar Paladin, so an archbishop is the prince. If you need help with that, if it doesn't help you, an archbishop is the one who's got the hot seat. He controls an entire city, an entire city. Now, what sucks about this is the archbishop's roles to duty. He's actually a priest as well. So is the bishop for that fact. I got to make the distinction. One cannot be a bishop or higher without having spiritual basis in the auctoritas rite. And to that matter, probably ignoblis rite, right? Because a bishop will have his own pack his or her own pack an archbishop will have his or her own pack it's pretty cool too when you're when a member of your pack is an archbishop or a bishop kind of puts you on easy street and gives some standing here's the downside for an archbishop though if there's ever a need 
to reward someone in a, like a city meeting fashion, they have to lead it. Because it matters. Because the difference between you using a decorated prince from someone else's pack or you doing it yourself is just how important that deed was. So it could be its own reward. We may do a blood feast in honor of a pack's distinction and killing the most lupines in the battlefield. That's great. That's going to be cool. Not going to be as if it's conducted by any priest, but it's not going to be as cool as if the archbishop, him or herself, comes forward to make sure that you get recognized and to conduct that blood feast in your honor. And that's how it works for that. So it's responsibility. It's added limelight. The other half of or you're the guidance. So let's say there's a priest who has a troubled question. There's someone in his pack who's close to falling to the wassail. Uh, what the wassail is is when you literally can't deal with the fact of just how monstrous you are anymore. Your humanity is going away, but you haven't found a way to reconcile that in yourself. Your beast is winning, as it said. And you're about to fall completely to the monster, and then you do. You become what is called a white, and you have known to have fallen to the wassail. What's terrible about it is it's a constant frenzy where your beast is in control of your actions, eating everything in sight. Now, let's say you're in a pack and you're a priest and you see one of your pack members is about to fall to that, but you don't know how to deal with it. Because let's say it's an interesting problem and actually an all too common one. It's the biggest diabolist in your pack. He's been doing it too much. He's, he's gained a lot of power. We don't want to just kill him. We don't know if we can just kill him. How do I guide this as a priest? Well, you're not going to go to the bishop. You're going to go to the archbishop on this one because the archbishop's going to have to make a decision. Now, this is interesting because a bishop can come up to you and be like, okay, that person sucks. He's bad. We need to do something about him. But he can't just whack a Sabbat member. Nobody in the Sabbat can just whack another Sabbat member. No. That's, believe it or not, is an archbishop's privilege. Privilege to rank. If an archbishop says you got to die, you're dead. Bishop can't just write you off, though. A bishop can sit at that meeting and tell the archbishop what a problem you are and get the thumbs up or thumbs down. That can fucking happen. Often it does. So that's another important distinction. So the archbishop's got to handle that roster of complaints, much like a prince in some regard. The other half, now everybody's going to come looking to this archbishop if something's not running. So let's say Chicago ain't been running right. Um, archbishop Nate has just been doing a terrible job. And for whatever reason, and you know, his, his Bishop buddy, Bob is falling as well. In a lot of respects, <laughs> we think it may have to do with that relationship. We're not certain. Well, along comes another position that they have because above that archbishop, you have a group of people that watch over a whole, well, watch over swaths of areas. So above an archbishop, you have a cardinal, a cardinal is regional, right? He, he would, uh, you know, uh, they, they, they'd, uh, <laughs> they'd watch over the Pacific Northwest. They'd watch over the uh, Eastern Seaboard. They'd watch over, you know, uh, Eastern Europe or uh, Central America. That's what these individuals would do. Then uh, to advise the Cardinals, we have the Priscus or the Prisci, who are a basically a seed of powerful vampires that would advise that Cardinal on different things going on in the region. Um, and then uh, above the Cardinal, uh, we'd have... Who's above the Cardinal? Above the Cardinal, you have just the region. Yeah, I was going to say, it's just the region. Just the region, the region. Which is like the the president, the Pope, the, <laughs> the, uh, the you know, the head honcho. Uh, and in here, uh, I believe it's still... They, do, they call it the inner circle. Right. They actually call it the inner circle. 
Now, why we told you the correct one is because this doesn't hold. Right. That inner circle term falls off to the wayside because the inner circle is composed of all the Prisci and Cardinals. Right. As it's said. And it's confusing, though, because there's the inner circle in the Camarilla, lock stock, right? That's the head honchos. Right. And the Sabbat, they have one regent. The inner circle is the Cardinals and Prisci. Well, we thought the Prisci reported to the Cardinals. Well, they do. And the Cardinals report to the Prisci. Right. (laughs) So let's explain. The Prisci is a consistory. They're a body of all the, they're the biggest wigs of spirituality. That's all they worry about is the spirituality of the sect. And also one of them might get tapped to be a new Cardinal. Right. So let's say we're going to move you up in the world. Nate, we want you to go from Archbishop because turns out we were wrong. You're doing an amazing job, but there's no opening for Cardinal. There's only so many regions that we have, right? that we have any control or influence over. So, however, you're great with people in the Sabbat and you keep them locked. We like what you do. We like what you have to say. Nobody skins babies like you do and uh, or convinces people to do it on your behalf. Fantastic. We're going to put you over here in our European stronghold, and you're just going to chill and hang out and club sabat as a Pris guy. And what's, what that job is is that you get to go around wherever you want with your legion of Templars and just observe. You can stop by wherever you like and have a chat and do your thing, and it's all A-OK. Now... A Pris guy's an untapped cardinal is all that is. I'll just simplify that for you. A cardinal is every bit as important, except a cardinal's in the hot seat. Because the cardinals are the ones who the regent's going to look to. When the sect is not performing well or they're losing somewhere in that region, that cardinal's to hang carte blanche. And it's going to be the Pris guy who tell you how to hang them or how to save them. Right. So that's where that political skullduggery comes in. I think that's completely refreshing and unique because normally the Justicars don't battle. No, no. They, they don't <laughs> right. get each other's throat. No, they they're trying to handle something, and the Sabbat handles it a very unique way in that regard, which I think is great. Now, the Regent at this point in the timeline is Melinda Galbraith. What's unique about Melinda Galbraith is that you only ever hear about her in bits and pieces and snippets, in a couple of the supplements, and in a novel briefly. Right. That's the only thing she serves up until her inevitable demise in modern and some other. Right book that inevitably we'll get to but the point is is melinda galbraith is a terrifying badass like i don't know who thought of this woman even in the snippets they give her i'll never forget it how she takes over the former regent's position which i don't know why his name escapes me no it wasn't cardinal redu beastry that's cardinal red redu beastry yeah i don't know it's not important actually i do if it's not it's listed on the code of milan is why i'm like who was it again? <laughs> but anyway, there was a region beforehand, and this region was considered um, amazing for the Sabbat because he really, truly was. He was there from the beginning. The Sabbat right. came up, and this region had a hand on it. Everybody respected him. That's why he had the title. And Melinda Gilbrey sat in whatever position she had beforehand. I'm assuming it had to be either Cardinal or Pris guy. And uh, they're sitting at this meeting, and she uses a certain ritual that's mentioned only in this book. And it's called Chill the Windsaber. Now, what's cool about it, in the novel, she's just having a chat and everybody's talking. It's no big deal. Um, a couple arguments are had. She gets a little snippy, as typical as vampires do. And then the region gives his order and edict and everybody's on the outs and everybody's going to do their business. Before he gets up to leave, she snaps a piece of glass and there's a vicious wind that whips through the room and his head comes rolling off his shoulders in the ashes. Gorkist? Region Gorkist. Um, but... It was pretty badass. I, I did I did enjoy it for the snippet it was in. 
Uh, the novel is inconsequential because we'll get to them later on. Uh, but the point is that in the Sabbat at this point, this is a new region, this Melinda Galbraith. She's known to be bloodthirsty. She's known to be warlike. Um, those don't necessarily go hand in hand in the Sabbat, by the way. You can be warlike without being bloodthirsty. War, right. war just get it done. But she's both. And to the Pris guy and the Cardinal, she's a threat, except for one Cardinal, Cardinal Vicos. And, uh, or excuse me, soon to be Cardinal Vicos. Not there yet. I'm jumping. But I'm off the rails. I could talk for days on the on the evolution of Sabat, but at this point, that's all the titles. Oh yeah, we didn't explain the region. We just said she's cool. What a region is is the absolute ruler of the Sabat. I do mean ruler. I want to tell you that it's not ruler. All the Sabat want to tell you they're not ruled. They're free to do anything. Let me explain to you how the Sabat sees it, as the region sees it. You're free to do anything. You have the power to do. Let me say that slowly. You're free to do anything that you have the power to do. This means if I tell you to go do something and you have the freedom to tell me to go fuck myself, I have the freedom to rip your arms and legs off. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's very true. So she's she's the ruler. <laughs> well, uh, let's not get too mired uh, in all that stuff. Um, we talked about it for a while. Let's get back to the book. Yes. And the next portion that uh, they go into after, of course, the lexicon are the Sabbat clans. Uh, for those of you who have played this game before, you probably already are aware, the Lasambra and the Shamase are the uh, the most... Uh, Keystone founders. Yeah, right, they're the, the most numerous. They are essentially the Sabbat. Uh, following them, we have the Asamite Anti-Tribu, which we've talked about. They're considered the unconquered. They're the individuals who said, we're not going to bow to this curse. Important note, the Asamite Anti-Tribu, their leader is called the Halal. Right. Once every 100 years, he is diabolized. Ritualistically. Ritualistically. Then his replacement gets to eat him. Uh, we learn uh, about the Bruja anti-tribute, but uh, they're basically the same as the regular anti-tribute or the regular Bruja. Incredibly uh, more violent, though. <laughs> right. But they don't really establish that too much in this book. They do a better job of that in later supplements. But basically, they whitewash over the Bruja. They're like, hey, they're basically the same Bruja, just a little bit more violent. And that's basically what you get in this book. Then we learn about the Gangrel. Uh, there are two bloodlines of the Gangrel and tribute, the Country Gangrel, which are m much more consistent with the uh, Camarilla version of the clan, and then the City Gangrel, who have opted to make the neon jungle of the city their home. And it's an evolution of the Gangrel. Cool about the City Gangrel? Uh, just what he said. They view the entire city as a new forest. And why you have to wrap your brain around is because they end up, in, when they frenzy, they get insectoid features. Versus getting just pretty, well, because your country gang girl get the animalistic right out in the wilds. It's kind of weird. Your city gang girl getting, I don't know, something like antennae. Right. <laughs> Might be bunk, but that's part of their curse. Or a rat tail. Yep. Uh, then we move on to the Malkavian anti-tribute, which they do a pretty good job of establishing that if the Camarilla Malkavian are insane, th the Malkavian anti-tribute are 10 steps beyond that they're the disease right they are they and and again they establish that this version of the malkavian are so distinctly different from the malkavian of the camarilla they have their own discipline dementation which is uh, revealed for the first time in this book and even the way they outline a dementation here this book does even mention that the anti malkavian anti-tributes are highly dangerous right they're incredibly dangerous to what they can do super unpredictable even to their own pack because they do spread insanity. They're not just insane. They'll give it to you. 
and they're a time bomb. You would throw them anywhere you want Havoc uh, to follow. Sorry. And we're not talking Havoc like bunnies and, you know, people are drawing crayons on the wall and shit like that. Unless the drawings on the wall portend the death and doom of a given house household right, in right. five minutes. But the one thing that I don't like about that is that um, they established that uh, the majority of the Malkavian anti-tribute don't believe that there's a clan called the Malkavian and most of them call themselves panders, which we'll get to in a second. That I wasn't really too hip on, but whatever. It is what it is. That's how they wrote it. Then we have the Nasratu anti-tribute. And again, in this one, they really make no distinction between the Nasratu of the Camarilla and the Nasratu of the Sabbat. Just that they both dwell in the sewers. Um, they never really do. Right. In, in, in further uh, versions of this, they establish that, yeah, they are similar, but they're they're definitely twisted and tainted by the sabbat yeah one sabbat right but but not so much here i mean they're pretty much just eh, nosferatu there nosferatu here and they establish that there is the, uh that clan is one of the few that still has a fairly good working relationship with its parent clan uh then from there we go to the panders uh this is the the clan quote-unquote clan that the caitiff have rallied around one individual named Joseph Pander. They've basically said, you know what? We're going to unify to some degree, and we're going to be acknowledged as a clan. And for good or for ill, the Sabbat said, all right, well, we'll let you in. Not a big fan. Uh, the Lasamba are not a big fan of the Panders. They basically hate them, but accept them for what they are. It's, it's not even hate as much as it is as disregard. It's because think about it. When the Panders come about, uh -huh. third civil war right. that the Sabbat has, and the Panthers are like, well, we're going to, the right. Bryanti revolted. We're about to do one too. Right. And some of a bitch, you're going to be, and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And Lissamber are like, I'll tell you what, um, here's a key. You can have a bunk. It's uh, down below. Welcome to the clubhouse. Right. You, you good? <laughs> yeah. All right. No, seriously. You're calm, Joseph. Right. Everything's good. Yeah. All right, buddy. Awesome. <sighs> Sorry. I'm fucking. But if we're uh, just, just because I know there's bigger sections and I'm assuming if I'm following your angle, yeah. we're going to jump over. Right. Um, the Panthers are an important distinction because they're really, po they're powerful. Uh, the Panders and the Sabbat are a group of specialists, really. If you think of special forces, it's what it reminds me of, the way they're written in this book. Because of the toughest things possible that are ever the Sabbat ever have to do or ever have to go at, the Panders volunteer for. Yeah, these are the individuals who are always trying to make a name for themselves. And are successful. And will do whatever it takes to get there. And that they're successful at it. And the Venturanti Tribute end up backing them. It says that in here, too. Quite often, they'll go to bat for them to help out the painters because of their loyalty their savage loyalty to the sabbat and to the summer the zemis any abused dog is going to show loyalty when treated right and well fed right that's why they brought him in and uh next up we have the ravno anti-tribute and uh it it draws a uh uh comparison between the ravno of the sabbat and the ravno outside of the sabbat and they're both very tricky but the <laughs> ravno of the sabbat are like uh you know I, I don't want anything to do with the Ravno outside, and I don't particularly care about gypsies, so screw them. They indicate, you know, these are they're loyal to the Sabbat, but they're still wild, still tricky, and still oftentimes have a difficult time uh, difficult time being trusted because of their very natures. Uh, then we go on to the Serpents of the Light. Serpents of the Light are pretty cool. Yeah, I like them because they have strong Haitian roots where they developed, and this is where they found because revolt, right? The Sabbat's right. about these place anarchs originally. When Haiti erupts and they're they're going to war, it's because they're believe it or not followers of Cedra are like fuck set, right? Fuck them in in the ear, 
Right. And we're going to kill them. We're going to burn them. And they go to, they go to town, but they're still corrupt, evil sons of bitches. And the Sabbat oh, yeah. knew that. Yeah. Taking them in, but they're a little concerned too, on some level because yeah, they dropped set and they're willing to burn set and all that. But now they're into some, some other shit. It's like next level stuff because they're profoundly good at corruption at just flipping somebody to their side, whether it's mortal or not. Right. But they don't do it. They do it in Sabbat fashion, Sabbat, uh, familial ties. Um, they, in other words, they maintain the law and the letter of the Sabbat so they can't do nothing about it, but they make an important note that, yeah, they're, they're on notice, <laughs> but keeping a lookout yeah, for them. You, you can be in the Sabbat, but, um, but right now it's about it. But or- when you, but when you look at it though, it's, you cannot have a, cause I, I like making these distinctions cause please, please, please understand that when you're going to play a serpent of the light in the sabbat you got to have something attached to voodoo and voodoo and some some capacity because this is their roots you're not going to let someone walk if i'm if i'm a haitian serpent of the light and i embrace some anglo-saxon out of louisiana i'm going to make sure that anglo-saxon knows something about my ideology his his belief system is rooted in the same belief system of the of the bloodline now he's free to be drawn to whatever he or she wants to be drawn to but they got to have something of me. I am the sire and I am part of the Sabbat and so are they. Yep. And so you got to make the distinctions of storytelling a player. Otherwise, you're just playing a set. Yeah, definitely. Uh, next up, we have the Torador anti tribute and the Torador anti tribute are, uh, in my opinion, very, very cool. They're amazing because they they take all that desire for artistic beauty and and, and uh, all, all the things, all the renown that the Torador have. And it is darkly twisted. It's not about art. It's about the horror of uh, indulging in the the darkest aspects of of existence. It's 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 a complete twist on what the Torador are. What they do is they take the humanity the Torador have, where they're stuck at the fine arts and all that, and they reverse it, and they're seeing how depraved they can get. And what that is, it's a representation on a sliding scale. Then on the up, upper end of humanity, of maintaining one's morality, you're the Camarilla Torador, and you're into making pottery and designing things and building stuff. On the reverse, a Torador anti's into debauchery, is into parties where they're making out of their own flesh something unique but artistic. For instance, a Torador anti tribute would wear a skin suit at the right soiree, a human skin suit. Whereas a normal Torador in the Camarilla would wear like a cool beaver skin, what have fur or what what have you, a fur coat of some light. Now the Torador anti tribute actually hold prestige for the discomfort they cause in others with their artistic endeavors, because being jaded is a fear in uh, for the Torador in the Camarilla. Being jaded is something where they can't feel their passion isn't there. The Torador anti tribute very much go for fear. They go for that level of we can't be the Samis and we can't mold clay like we can't mold flesh like clay. We can't shape shift into something horrific, but we are going to show you that before these monsters came along, mankind was perfectly capable of being monstrous. Right. And they do it in their own artistic fashion. So BDSM clubs to the extreme, uh, looking in uh, Native American rites of uh, meditation. Uh, one of them in particular, I know it was a Sabbat ritual they had for a long time. Um, I'll describe it. It's where you hang by your own flesh from something high and outstretched and you do it from sunrise to sunup or however many days it goes without with minimal food and water 
to have a hallucination, right? That's a Native American right to purify your body, to become one with the ancestors, as it is. For a time, the Tornado Tribute would make that a Friday night. Right. Uh, next up, we have the Tremere Anti-Tribute, um, which uh, are essentially the the same as the Tremere in the Camarilla, except for their uh their hatred for uh, basically to get down to brass tacks you had some tremere who were like fuck the sabbat's winning let's let's go join the sabbat fuck the tremere fuck where we came from and whether it was a desire for power or what have you uh they now serve at least in this incarnation in this early edition they serve the I'm glad you stopped me there yeah because it, things are going to change i was about to roll right into yeah it. It, it's it's a all these things are stories that, that get told. So as of right now, the Tremere are uh, a, a part of the, the Sabbat in good standing, albeit uh, reluctance to trust the Tremere uh, because of their secretive ways. But The Tremere anti-tribute have an incredibly violent rivalry with the Zemis and the Sabbat that's forced to a standstill. Uh, we're, gonna, we're about to get into the history, but it's forced to a standstill for obvious reasons. <coughs> and it's interesting because they come in a time when an alternate means of more diverse and, well, utility, uh, thaumaturgy was needed to preserve the Sabbat right. in their war. And they, the Tremere Tribute were pivotal in performing that and getting that to them. Whereas the Zemis are capable. We'll get into that later on, too. But right now, that's all I had on that. Uh, then uh, I believe finally we have the Venture Anti-Tribute. And, uh, it, you know, it talks about how the Venture Anti-Tribute are kind of like the ones with the most to prove because their clan is the central leadership of the Camarilla and they are the truly rebellious to actually cut themselves off from that pinnacle of leadership and take sort of a, a, a side role in the Sabbat. Um, many of your paladins come from, from the Ventru, uh, many of the true, truly rebellious members of the Sabbat come from the Ventru anti-tribute, uh, again, because they have the most to prove. And before you catch it, Templar paladin is synonymous, depending on what you have them do. Right. Nate's a Templar now, but later on, I want someone killed in that capacity served as my paladin. Right. And, uh, then it goes on to the structure of the Sabbat. Uh, which we kind of we we basically talked about archbishops we bishops I mean, we we pretty much talked to you talked about it to a great length yes <laughs> but then they have different uh, they talk about the different movements the loyalist movement so um for the the loyalist movement those are the people that say i'm a member of the sabbat i'm i'm truly a rebel i don't give a shit what leadership has to say i'm free and i'm gonna do what the fuck i want when i want where i want because that's what the sabbat espouses and it, it's the the status quo versus the loyalist movement the loyalist movement again they believe that their absolute loyalty is to the idea of the sabbat your leadership is meaningless i don't give a shit then of course you have the status quo which says no this is how things go this is what we've established uh, and, and you can read deeply into those a little bit more. Uh, then we talk about the Black Hand. And in here, they pretty much talk about how the Black Hand is essentially the Asimite anti-tribute. Uh, with the a variety of a few other clans sort of fitting in, the Asimites are assassins. They're soldiers. They're, they're warriors. They are the, the martial hand of the Sabbat. And we've, we talked about it a little bit, too. Right. The next one we didn't talk about, though, is the Sabbat Inquisition. The Sabbat Inquisition, this is their internal, this is their secret police. 
plain and simple. They right. were formed originally for that purpose. What they became, and they mentioned even here, well, actually, it's not even different. They just evolved. They learned that infernalism is real. Right. And and they talk about the path of evil revelations, and we haven't mentioned that at all, really. Well, but, for good reason. Right. We didn't got to. Right. <laughs> so. But uh, the Sabbat Inquisition are the same, essentially, as the Inquisition of the Catholic Church. Right. They are there to root out corruption and evil. They are there to find those who would sell their souls for demonic pacts or what have you that would do things that are well beyond the pale for the sabbat and it's not just that i mean like when i say in secret police they're also there for dissenters right uh for the for that archbishop that's abusing the city for his own personal gain for that bishop who's doing the same right for that pack that's nomadic because they're going around deauthorizing templars right in route and, and, and they talk about how the inquisition they are beyond reproach they're not going to be influenced by anyone these are the most uh, uh, deeply uh the the highest order of zealot uh, resides within the inquisition and i think uh uh correct me if i'm wrong but i believe that there's only ever 15 members of the inquisition and they're the they're callous they're cold and they're not here to to debate you they're here to find out what is here's, going on here's the unique thing about the inquisition and the sabbat they define them and don't you're right they mentioned 15 right uh, they also don't tell you that who they report to, yet you always find them reporting to Prisky. Right. That's the that's the highest level they go to, which makes sense, right? If you recall, I mentioned that the Priscus, the Prisky serve as the spiritual head, right, of where they need to be. Well, how do you get all that influence, Mister Inquisitor? Well, because it goes to them. And then you know, think about it. Think about it as steps, right? The Inquisition gets challenged by an Archbishop. Well, that Inquisitor is going to call the Prisky, who's going to turn around and tell the Regent. And the regent's going to tell that archbishop to stake himself in the sun. <laughs> right. Because how dare you interrupt this process and bother me on my important day. and Or whatever they're going to do. Right. And that's, and that's how that goes. Now, what I like about the Inquisition, other than hunting down the Infernal, that's a whole other layer yeah. of what this gets into. And I think it's very much important to highlight the heroism that we have in this sect. They're truly fighting monsters of every caliber. Because in this edition, they're talking about how Infernalism and Diablery go hand in hand. How they mention if you're a rampant diabolist, you want next step is infernalism. Right. You're definitely more susceptible to finding other easy ways and shortcuts to power. You're eating souls to gain personal <laughs> right. power. What does a demon do, shithead? <laughs> so that's that's how it is. But the Zabat are like, no, no, no. One can commit diabolery now and again to strengthen one's power. One cannot do it to such an excess that you have to find that next high. Right. The next high being dear Beelzebub. And, and when we look at the different paths of enlightenment, most of them espouse diablery for a purpose. Right. They, they, you know, it's permitted as long as A, B, and C requirements are met. You know, not just for like, ah, fuck it. I feel like diablerizing today. Who's got a bruja milkshake I can drink? <laughs> That's that's not what the paths of enlightenment are for. That's not what they do. They're there to guide you. But that's jumping ahead. The next thing that we talk about is the history of the Sabbat. Sabbat history, super quick. It's two pages. We're gonna break it down for you. We know why the Sabbat's formed. We talked about it with the Anarch with the Anarchs in a previous podcast. Right. Quick refresher, they were anarchs. They they opposed right. everybody. They they rebelled against the elders of their clans, respectively. So a treaty was formed to, fun, to codify the Camarilla and the Anarchs, and the Sabbat said, fuck you, 
Remember Vikos tears off junk, throws it at hardest at, flips them off, they leave. That group becomes the Sabbat. The Sabbat at that time said, hey, freedom for all. Do what you want, be as you feel. And they're running around. Why there's packs isn't because they're competing with Werewolf. I want to make the distinction. There were packs because they had to team up to jump an elder. Right. Right during the Anarch Revolt. Now, that didn't stop once the revolt ended. It didn't stop for Anarchs. It didn't stop for the Sabbat. They stuck to a lot of their packs because they were established, and those are your friends. Right. That's who had your back during war. And also, as a side note, this is a multiplayer game. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So, so, form and function. There you go. Pack, coterie, huh? Hmm? Keeping up? All right. So, now you have this pack, and that's all well and good, but my pack decides that Nate's pack doesn't need to be in Chicago. I don't want him to be here because we're solely going to be the ones that control Chicago. Nate tells me, fuck you, and Mark's pack is going to help Nate's pack to oust me while I'm going to get mine. Suddenly, we have a war. We have a war, and there's fuck all anybody can do about it because we said everybody gets freedom. Right. Well, if everybody gets freedom, who's in charge? Fucking nobody's in charge. Well, now we're going to have wars over every little fucking thing. And now, at this time, we're in Europe still. Just got our freedom. What's this about doing? It's close to the brink of extinction because all they're doing is cacking each other. They're finding, staking, eating, wiping out, taking assets. Right. And, and, and meanwhile, locales. meanwhile, you have these elder Camarilla vampires who are like, oh, they're fighting each other. Let's help them along because fuck them. We don't want them here. They, exactly. they, they're, they're an annoyance that we don't need. So let's fund side A. So side, let's spread some dif- disinformation to side B. Let's foment this, this anarchy among this new sect. And don't forget, while they're busy spinning plates to distract the sabbat by distract them we're just helping them fight right we're not getting involved we're just rumor here sabotage there and leaving it at that and make sure that it's not pointing at us what they did was they went wait a minute the mortals are going to the new world what's over there well why don't we send these camarilla groups to go over there and figure it out oh look they're establishing cities right and that's when the sabbat went what no joke that's basically how the civil war ended was that they heard that the camarilla is formed and is now in the new world and they were like, eh, okay, hold up. Peace, time out. Let's stop killing each other. The enemy has gone that way. Right. And so they're like, oh, well, let's follow. So now the Sabbat moves to the new world to take on the Camarilla. And unfortunately for them, they learn the Camarilla has cities. They have strongholds established. They have things built up that they're now backing and entrenched right. in. Fuck, we haven't done anything with that yet. So the Sabbat kind of have a de facto agreement they get into. And they're like, well, let's agree to this purchase pact. This purchase pact say, it states that we're going to leave the new, the old world. We're going to get out of here. But here's some things we're going to do. Sabat can't fight Sabat anymore. Right. No more Sabat on Sabat crime. That's done. Those days are out. Now we only focus ever on the enemy. That's that. The titles, we're really, really, really going to enforce the titles now. Okay. <laughs> Archbishop, Archbishop on down. We're now, right. seriously, guys, we're paying attention. Well, we'll fuck you up. Right. Because the people who signed this purchase pact, of course, it's Regent Gorkis, but then you have Cardinals who signed it and all these other big wigs who signed it that let every Sabbat know, fuck, well, if we're going to have issue with this, we got to fight those guys. We literally have to go fight them. And these are people who've just, I think even Lou guys signed the, signed the purchase pact originally. I'm not sure because they don't really talk about it too much. They, they talk it in the sort of vague terms. Like they don't say who's involved with it. They show the, I thought they showed the purchase pact. Not in this book. Okay. I'm thinking of the other one. Yeah. The other one they show, it's really cool. But yeah, we'll, in the, in the revised edition, they, they go into this stuff a lot more deep. Um, they both go hand in hand, really. But anyway, so um, 
Moving on from there, we have this purchase pact. We go to the new world. Well, in the new world, it presents some challenges. Where are we going to hide in the day? What are we going to do? The Sabazas start from ground zero, building connections with these mortals, and they learn, well, fuck, we can't just be the wild bunch. We have to actually get down with the natives. We have to let our, our, let our gang girl guide us a bit and learning how to survive off this newfound territory. And they're out there kind of getting it done. And at the same time, they're trying to scout out these Camarilla strongholds and get a leg in and get a fang in any elder they can. This is going great, except for the fact there are two clans that said the Sabbat's ours. One's the Lasambra, the other's the Zemis. Right. And this isn't a big deal initially, <laughs> but you got to remember, right now, the Camarilla has the new world, period. They have United States on lock. This pushes the can, uh, excuse me, pushes the Sabbat north and south. So we're down in Mexico and South America, and we're in Canada. Right. Those are the places the Sabbat have hold, period. Meanwhile, Camarillo is living off the fat of the land in the United States of America. Right. And they're trying to figure out how to get in there. Well, this is a little somber, and as me said, you know what we're going to do? Old worlds were all our most powerful Sabbat are that agreed to that purchase pact. We're here. Nah, we're going to have at it. <laughs> we're gonna have at it because fuck you what do you mean well our mistake before was it was the wild bunch we, we let anybody do whatever they want well now it's this you're either la sombra or you're zemis period meaning you're allied with and we're not letting anybody not pick a side it's definitely bipolar right now and they have this war well this war is like the worst idea that could happen right now because now you have the black and by the way then who's neutral in all this the black hand and the inquisition I need to point this out. The Black Hand and the, the, the Seraphim, which are the leaders, they're the fucking monstrous warlords. Truly, they're the power, in my opinion, in the Black Hand. Or, excuse me, in the Sabbat, is the Black Hand and their leadership, the Seraphim. So, if you remember, we mentioned Alana Jav. Right, right. The, a couple books ago. The Seraph, a couple books ago. That monster sits not holding any rank to any known Sabbat member, just the way he likes it. Because that, that dude would want you to walk up to him and tell him, fuck off. Why, why should I be afraid of you? Because mm -hmm. it's the last shit you're going to say. Right. Believe you me. So anyway, the Black Hand's kind of sitting back going, if we let them go at it, this ruins our war effort. They're going to die. So the Seraphim are kind of like Inquisition. Do you agree? And the Inquisition's like, whatever you say, dude. Because <laughs> that's just how that do. You know, right. it's like going, yep, we agree. This is bad for business. Right. Well, we need to talk to the Zombrans and me and make, make them see reason because some, the moderates, that's who we forgot. There's the, oh, it's not in here, is it? No, it's not. Fucking A. All right, there's a group of Sabbat. Because <laughs> I have to define it, define it and not define it. So there's a group of Sabbat who said, I don't know why we're doing all this fighting with Zemis and La Sombra because you're fighting over territory or the right to take over the new world. Right. Is what you're fighting over. And you're doing it in Mexico and South America and now up in Canada. Do you realize how big both those territories are that have mortals in it? Right. Why are we fighting over the new world that is just scrambling to figure it out? The Camarillo's having trouble getting past their strongholds. They're, they're trying to go west, and they're having... Why are we fighting over this? Lasarma's like, I don't care. It's me, so I don't care. And then the Black Hand and Inquisition comes along and goes, we're caring right the fuck now. And suddenly, we're over. <laughs> Amazing how that works out. Right. You know, they step in, they're like, done. Like, okay. There's a meeting where those elders who originally sat down and formed the Purchase Pact some of those elders meet up again, only this time, all the Sabbat that can, that are important, go to Milan. And they're in Mil Milan, which I think is Spain. Is it Madrid? Uh, no, no, Milan, no, no. Spain, somewhere? Italy? I don't know. Yes. Mil Milan. Milan, Italy. M-I-L-A-N. Thank you, geography. Okay. 
So they're in Milan and they sit down and this is why they call it the code of Milan. And they go, here's the fucking facts. We weren't, uh, apparently as, uh, detailed <laughs> as you need us to be. So here's the deal. Right. You can't do fuck all to any Sabat member without permission. Right. Rank matters, motherfucker. And here it is. Here's the difference. All the seraphim were there. The un- unity of the black hand. We're talking to you at Alanajav, Elimelech, all these monsters sitting there going, we've made a decision. We have stopped warring. Why have we stopped warring? Because we, you're warring, you're warring, and we can't war. And everyone was like, no, nah, man, we ain't fighting. We, the enemy's over there. Right. Well, then you need to get over and do, well, then sign this paper. <laughs> what? Yeah, they have to choke back their beasts and their warlike mentality so that they can go make war on the right people. Because right. that's and what was agreed the, upon. The Code of Milan is not, again, all these important pieces of uh, articles of uh, importance to the Sabbat, they're not in this book. Right. So we won't really get to read those until later on. Because they mention them, but they don't get into Right, them. right. And uh, But we'll define them later. But they basically line out how they're going to be from now on. And then they tell them, okay, cool. Now we can truly be the Sabbat we are today. Right. Maintain temporal power and have all that fun stuff. Uh, as far as... Uh, locations they talk about around the world um the the most important one here on this page it talks about mexico city mexico city has the largest collection of sabat anywhere in the world basically it is their sabat stronghold um canada again plays a very important role but they don't talk about it too much in here we will find that out in a book coming out not too long from now uh, about the importance of canada to the sabat right um they talk about uh France, and they, they say that uh, France has the largest collection of Sabat vampires in Europe, but uh, France is a big place, and um, they talk about Germany, they talk about Austria and Spain, uh, they talk about Italy and Eastern Europe, uh, Scandinavia, they talk about how much of the Sabat, after the, the Convention of Thorns, fled to Northern Europe, to Scandinavia, um, and that's where they sort of centralize their power. And then they talk about Africa. There's very little power there. Australia. This is there's less than forty Sabat in Australia. So how they do it is they're basically showing you just how spread thin the Sabat is to give you the concentration is in the states where they're where they're going. Because at this point, your nightmare Sabat exists, but those are basically NPCs, right? And they should be your players out of this player's handbook should be building a, a starting pack. A budding pack that is getting long to get right, along. Exactly. And that's its focus and goal. Uh, and they go on Middle East, Asia, etc. You can read all that stuff. That's probably not going to come into play too much for your, your particular game. Pay and attention they, to South America later on. Yeah. Right? They talk about Sabat ideology, which we've talked about to, I think, a varying degree here. Um, the the Gehenna, the belief that the Antediluvians will rise and destroy um they talk about the holy crusades <laughs> which is pretty much what you were just talking about um taking the Sabbats, over cities right yeah. the sabbats uh, attempt to take over a, a number of cities real quick that's what a crusade is right a they crusade. talk about the quote-unquote holy crusades that's the jihad against new york right. against chicago against any camera stronghold that's a crusade against that city and a siege is the act of actually fighting for that city right. so uh, when you hear the term like Sabat siege, that means that there is fighting going on at that time, or it's referencing something in the past, of course, but like the Sabat siege of Chicago, that means the Sabat rolled in and they're at war. There is fighting. The right city is now, under siege. 
Your soldiers are burning. Uh, they talk about Sabat conduct, uh, how they conduct uh, scouting missions. They talk about some of their tactics. The Sabat make good use of spies. That's, so we can do that one real quick, real simple. Right. So Camarilla take over cities that they'll ideally, they'll start with the mortals. They'll have the mortals go in. They'll get in good with the media, the police, um, underworld, every known body of control that mortals have. They'll seed it, and then the elders will come in and supplant themselves quietly, efficiently, locked down. How the Sabat takes care of the city is that they too will go in, except their agents go to identify and target the most important ghouls and retainers of said important vampires in the city. They do nothing right now. They're just finding them. Now, who's finding them specifically? Black Hand. The Black Hand has infiltrated the city. They've gone in, scouted out what's what, who's who, what territory they have, where they stay, where they party, where they eat. Usually it takes a good solid, at least, at least uh, a year or two, at the very least, to spy and really know what's going on. Right. Then they start working on infiltration. Um, infiltration tactics beyond just scouting. Infiltration is, I go in, that dude is the gold retainer of so-and-so, no problem. We black bag him, take him out. Torture him, nobody knows. We get a guy who looks like him, put him back in. Flesh, flesh craft him with me stuff, whatever, we'll get to that in a minute. Dominate him to control their mind and plant thoughts, whatever we got to do. Right. Put our agent back in so nobody's the wiser. And uh, you can reference back to Chicago by Night. You can see the two unnamed or the un, uh, the two Sabat members that were in the city. Like those were, you can tell they were working towards this already. They, so they already had an idea of what the Sabat was. They just didn't have all these particulars ironed out at that time. Right. So you have like Philippe Regard, who is a spy. He's there looking to subvert, but you can tell the way they write him. He's not out fighting in the streets with the Bruja. He's laying low, gathering information so that he can then send it back to the Sabat, who will eventually lay, the, lay siege to the city. Now the Black Hand comes back with the intel. They had a guy in there watching people to know people and whatnot, and they come back and they go, okay, the dude we scouted, the guy you infiltrated, who's really got the power, who's really king shit? They get that info. Then they deploy Black Hand Killers. And they just take those sons of bitches out quietly. They just never are seen again. And that's that. That's where the Camarilla gets the belief that Sabat members are noted by a black palm on their face or somewhere on their body. They believe all Sabat have it because that's really the only contact anyone who survived the Sabat has come across in the Camarilla is those guys. Because remember, they're black hand. They have, they're called that for a reason. And they have that ideology, that ideology for a reason. Now, traditionally, the reason why they're called the Black Hand is because every finger, there's five seraphs, the seraphim. Right. Five, the number, so it's a hand. The palm would be their soul. You get it. I don't need to go in. But <laughs> the fact is, is that that's the goal. But they adopt the, the soot, the black soot on the palm placed on their body or tattooed somewhere was one of the cool things their warriors end up developing to show prestige, like counting coup, which is something, a term. We'll get into in the Black Handbook, but that's them. But anyway, these elders go, so an elder or whoever of influence goes missing. Once that's done, the Sabat go, okay, Cardinal so-and-so in charge of this area. We are now in position to start the siege, send in the troops. And the Cardinal throws a big gala affair. A Palagrande is called. And what a Palagrande is, is a big party where every, every regional pack that can, in the area that can hear it answers the call no matter otherwise. And this cardinal is about to reveal something big. And he tells him, hey, guess what? Chicago tonight, 
lay waste under siege all others on the menu have at it by the way no masquerade rip it apart right the sabbat doesn't believe in the masquerade anyway in their own cities they maintain it because they want to keep the power and the food accessible right they talk about too how most of the nomadic packs they're not there long enough to give a fuck right and also they're not there long enough you know some some crazed uh freaks gunned down and chopped up a family in a minivan on the highway well you know the news shows up and the police show up that pack's long gone they're not coming back so good luck finding us and if you're looking for it as a storyteller this is where you have cool contention sabat on sabat right where you can have a nomad pack that doesn't give a fuck of npcs who just left and you have a covenant player characters who have to somehow take care of this mess uh clean it up keep it on the rug what have you now we've sent in the uh the cardinals launched polygon black hand said yeah do it now all these player character packs known packs nomadic packs tons of packs cigarette packs whatever pack you want is now going to the city and they're doing one thing they're ripping apart the masquerade they're wreaking havoc they're ruining influence they're playing cops and robbers which is about uh, actually it's an retail now um, but they, it's a ritual where um, they, you, it, or excuse me, it's a war game. One pack will go in and pretend to be cops. The other pack will go in and pretend to be robbers. And what they do is they can only use guns. And they'll go into a public place like a Quiznos, Starbucks, a mall, wherever this is taking place. And they decide that they're going to shoot at each other. Except they're going to take the bullets and stay standing. And as you know, bullets don't kill vampires, but they do hurt. They can wound. And it caused some bleeding in some pretty interesting situations. But how do you explain uh, to a group of people, about 50, who just watched a guy get shotgun in the gut, and he's laughing about it, and then how he ripped out someone's throat to heal up, which, by the way, is how they call timeout. If someone's feeding, they're on timeout. You can't shoot them. got to let them heal up. And you got to keep going. And they'll play this game throughout the mall with the sole purpose of drawing police attention in that one incident. Meanwhile, another pack is doing something similar uh, in a residential area. Someone over here is starting to fire. Someone's starting to brawl in a high school. Someone is forcing people to OD on national television. Uh, a group of bums get invited to a party and are convinced to smoke some bath salt and see what happens. You know, that type of shit. Whatever causes chaos on a mass scale you can't possibly contain, that's what they want. Because the Camarilla now has lost control. They're, they're putting literally water on any fire they can, and they should, at this point, be at maximum capacity because the important people the Black Hand has taken out are the very same people who would have a hand in stopping all those stories and police problems from spinning out of control. In other words, the influence in the city, those guys are done with. Right. Then they go on and they talk about, uh, we've talked about all the beautiful strengths of the Sabbat, all the great things that the Sabbat has to offer you. But they also talk about some of the weaknesses of the Sabbat, why the Sabbat isn't right now on the winning side of, of this battle, why they're not just overwhelming the Camarilla and destroying them. They talk about the relative size. They talk about how the size of the Sabbat is a, roughly a third of what the Camarilla is. So just sheer... Uh, status among uh, cities and countries, there's just more Camarilla. Even going out and embracing uh, en masse uh, a a vast swath of of people, oh, there's a high mortality rate. When you basically exist for war, 
and chances are you're going to die. Yes. That's a that's a major side effect. Uh, another one is they lack the influence of the Camarilla. The Camarilla is like a spider. It has its webs everywhere, and the Sabat is unwilling to count on outside assistance. You know, what's done is done with blood and bone. Well, when you have that, you have the Camarilla who have influence, who have the ability to, oh, we found a communal haven. Well, wouldn't it be a shame if it was condemned during the day and torn down and a parking lot was poured over it? But Sabat really doesn't have that ability. That's just a fact of life. Um, another of them, uh, there there are a var- variety of different doctrines, a, a different ideologies and beliefs within the Sabbat. And because of that, it tends to prevent them from acting in any uh, concerted effort, um, whether it's vying for leadership, all of those things. Um, they go on to talk about the Lasambra anti-tribu. They talk about uh, the uh, the Shamase of the old country. And we'll let you read that for yourself. I mean, uh, so, I mean, we, we could. They do mention because so here's here's where the contention comes in. Nate already slam dunked the, the Lasambra anti-tribu in two different podcasts. Right. This being the other one. So you really understand them. Um, the Zemis of old country, you got to know them. They refer to a term called the Ordea League. Now, there's how it works in, in old clan Zemis is that back in the Carpathians, who's where they're at, they're very insular. They don't leave. They, they don't know about modern amenities, most of them. <laughs> they're just in their castles, and they still have their vassals, and fuck the herd. Whoever's living on their land owes their lives to the Zemis who are there still to this very day. Because guess what? The Crusades didn't stick. They went out there, and yes, they were Christians, but they did not maintain any established order, in particular of the Camarilla. And uh, you don't need to know that part. I'm telling you that for flavor because it is in the future, but it establishes home what they write here. And the fact that, okay, we're Zemis, we're ancient, we have an old structure, insular mentality, and we're at war. We're still the elders of Clan Zemis, and we're warring with the younger members. The younger members who are actually the Sabbat now. Right, who betrayed the elders of this clan. Left us to go elsewhere without permission, regardless. And of those, there's a group called the Ordea League. And the Ordea League are 12 uh, vampires who said, you know what? We have our own territories. We're voivode in our own land. We oppose the Sabbat and anyone else. Um, and we agree that if anyone attacks one of us, we all will attack that person. Right. So that's how they survived up until this point important because it's a good antagonistic point and it matters later on for other things all righty and then uh we move on to chapter two running with the sabbat and uh, a lot of the stuff we've already talked about uh um, the different yep. types of packs nomadic packs and uh covens uh founded packs that don't leave the city that they're uh that they reside in and the nomadic packs the pale riders they bring up two good points though in here too real fast so nate in your opinion What's ambition versus loyalty in a Sabbat pack? Well, loyalty is uh, we move in unison together. We're, we're, uh, how do you define loyalty? I'm loyal to this pack. I'm loyal to the sect. You know, uh, regardless of what happens, we're thick and thin. We're, you know. We're, All of the above valid. Right, right. Right. But ambition in Vampire would normally be, yeah, I'm in a pack. Yeah, I'm part of Sabbat. But I got to be this elder with these disciplines and I want to control these mortals and I want to have the finer things in life. I want to have these houses and havens and this power and all that. No, you don't. Ambition versus loyalty in the Sabbat is that you're only as ambitious as your ductus and pack have agreed to be ambitious too, as long as that forwards the cause of the Sabbat. That's where you're at. That's where the loyalty comes right. in. 
we're loyal already. So why do you need these things? Right. Well, if you can say why we need it, then yes, the pack will get it because we do need those things. But guess what? If the pack doesn't need them, why do you have them? Now, that doesn't mean that I can't have my Windows phone and Nate can have his Apple phone. Yeah, sure. Knock yourself out. Right. Because you need a phone. What that means is, though, is that I'm not in it for myself. I'm in it for us, the pack, the Sabbat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the uh, other term that it makes a distinction of is, was an unlife within a Sabbat pack. Well, what's that like? Now I want to, and it may be skipping the gun, but I think it follows the mentality a little better than how it has it outlined. Explain the viniculum and what the Valdry is. Uh, well, what the viniculum uh, is, is it's a ritual that uh, was... The Valdry is. The, the Val, I'm sorry. Yeah. The Valdry is a, is a ritual that the Anarchs found that would allow them to break the bonds the elders held over them. What it is in modern day is it is a way, it is a ritual that allows, by sharing of each other's bloods, ritualistically, uh, I said bloods, sharing of each <laughs> other's blood ritualistically, it allows us to strengthen our bonds as a whole, whether it's pack, sect, citywide. Um, so it's akin to a blood bond, but it is different. It doesn't induce that slavery that a blood bond induces. It induces a sense of loyalty, a varying degree of loyalty to each individual that participates in it. Because it can, because that, that it's, there's a sliding scale, right? Right. The vaniculum rating. Right. One through 10, 10 being amazing, one being, well, water. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the bonds that bind. Right. So if me and Nate are in a pack together with three other people, we're all going to have a different rating usually to one another. Right. And it's going to be different for each of us because that's how, what it does. But what it makes sure, certain of is not one person has anyone under their thumb. This is the difference, though. This ritual's origins are what make it important. Got to remember, Lugash Bloodbreaker brought this to the Sabbat. And it was discovered and enriched and evolved through the Kaldonic sorcery of the Zemis clan. This is not in this book. You need to know it so you don't read it like a muttonhead and think that, oh, yeah, we just have a Valdry because any Sabbat can do it. And therefore, any Camarilla vampire can do it because they're vampires, too. No, it's the biggest secret of the Sabbat is the Viniculum and the Valdry. Because the Viniculum ensures we don't kill each other right. in a pack. Now, a Viniculum can also be done citywide. The Archbishop often... We'll host that same party, uh, call a palagrand if you want, which is usually a yearly thing, but or a cardinal calls one. But anyway, regardless, all the city comes up, we all perform the Valdry together. All the packs, everybody. And the Valdry, though, like I said, does not guarantee that I'm going to be head over heels about you. It just means that we will have a bond of loyalty. Right. A shared feeling, just like Nate said, of a familial bond. Who hasn't wanted to kill their sister or brother one time or another? But it says, hey, we're family nonetheless. Also make sure no elder has blood bond you and enslaved you to their cause. Nate has already said that. But what I'm highlighting it again, because remember, in a Camarilla, a blood bond is complete enslavement in every aspect of it is. In fact, it could be that way for Sabbat too, because it doesn't stop you from having the, being able to do that. Vampiric blood does it. Three times you drink from a vampire, three different nights. Right. It creates that blood bond. And you're in love, head over heels, all about them, whatever they need, including your life. If it comes to that, you can have a ten rating uh, to a vampire, uh, to a vampire in the sabbat, sabbat to sabbat. What that ten rating doesn't do for you is, you know, you absolutely will die for that person, but you're still you, right? 
you're still you. You're still free to, to struggle against it and what have you, and often you do. It's not the same as like a three-point blood bond. You got it. It's it's not slavery to that person, but it is loyalty to that person. Exactly. Perhaps love for that person, but these actions are your own. You determine if it's love or not. Right. Right. And then uh, we'll move on from there. Blah, 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 blah. To Great picture, the f- by the way. Which one? The- That's in a novel. The one where the guy is drinking the arm. Oh yeah, that's a it's a gang girl auntie. Yeah, that's, just just food yeah. for thought. He's just the, the, the artwork in here is is awesome. It's very second ed. If I remember, that gives you an idea. Of Detroit. That's one of the bishops in Detroit. Yeah, which uh, I don't know if that's in any uh, actual release anywhere, but no, they should have. It really, really no, there are some novelizations of of Detroit, and uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's, it's a messed up, son. Uh, then we go into Sabat games, and uh, you know, I I don't think we should spend too much time on these because no. we we've, we've already kind of discussed them. They're great for you to read and play out with uh, your players, or they're with your... unique because they usually involve masquerade breaking things. Right. Then they talk about uh, joining the Sabat, and I think so far we've already pretty much discussed all this stuff. We discussed the creation rights. We discussed uh, the caitiff and the panders. We've dis- we've discussed blood bonds and and uh, things of that nature. And then, of course, we go into this viniculum rating. We talk about the one to ten, and and they go into some greater detail about it. Then we talk about the actoritis rite. We talk about the ignomalous rite. Give us some flavor in the actoritis rite, though. Okay, so um, one uh, the the first one uh, the uh, the bloodbath. The bloodbath is held whenever sect leaders recognize a Sabbat vampire as having a rightful claim to a title. All the Sabbat who will be under the leadership of the vampire are invited to attend the ceremony. Each subservient vampire is brought before her superior. The superior recognizes the vampire and proceeds to give praise and advice. The titled vampire then shares in the Valdery with all present. After this, the vampire is actually led to a pool of fresh blood and bathes in it. So, I mean... There's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of mystery to the, these names. The fire dance, it's uh, designed to uh, create uh, fervor and uh, um, incite the vampires to uh, you know perhaps a, a war party or uh, you know things of that it's, nature. Its purpose is to defy the things right. that can destroy a vampire right. to make them weak. Uh, their recklessness, their fearlessness. Um, and it says in here, normal vampires have a good sense to avoid fire. Uh, indeed, most fear it tremendously. The vampires of the Sabbat, on the other hand, go face to face with their fears and overcome them. During the fire dance, Sabbat enter a trance-like state. They then proceed to leap and dance through the blazing pyre. Uh, there are some of the Sabbat who know uh, rituals to make themselves immune to fire for short periods of time. But most of the Sabbat participating are completely vulnerable. The fire dance is used to humiliate the weak. Those who do not permit participate are chastised by their fellow pack members. So it's basically it's designed to prop up the strong. If you can't do it, then you suck. You're you're no good. You're no good to so the Sabbat. So in Camarilla, you'd be in Elysium outwitting one another, and the Sabbat were dancing in flames All right. to outdo one another for that. And why, why I wanted Nate to kind of give you that little flavor there is to highlight where these rituals come from. Remember the talk about the Civil Wars and where they erupted and how when it came to the New World, they had natives? And really, that's it that they can adapt to and bond with. And the Sabbat built strong ties with the Native Americans, and they absorbed a lot of their culture. In fact, some more than, more than a few Sabbat were Native themselves, and their rituals came with them, albeit bastardized and brutal. Uh, they were ever made uh, to be part of the Ignoblis and Octoritas Rite, but you can definitely see origins there. 
Right. And also uh, here, you know, they talk about the special sect practices. They're not part of the retay. Uh, things like secret handshake, uh, which the Sabbat have some secret handshakes. They have uh, oaths of loyalty. They have secret passwords and signs. They have symbols. Uh, this, uh, uh, we'll, we'll use this for an example. The symbol, uh, uh, the Sabbat has a special symbol any member uh, may wear to identify himself as such. The symbol is often worn during times of jihad to allow other Sabbat to recognize fellow sect members, especially since new members are created constantly. It doesn't say here what it is, but it's for you as a storyteller, you know, you can, you can use whatever you like. This is where your imagination comes in. Right. Um, the uh, fun fact, a little story for you, how we've used it before. We've had tabletop games, and, and actually the more effective one's a LARP game, where we went to a Gen Con and we're a Sabbat pack, and we had our own secret handshake. The particular character I was playing was an Asimite anti-tribu, and a player tried to pretend, I had to pretend they were in Obfuscate looking like a member of my pack, and they walked up, and I extended my hand to do the handshake. We did make a secret handshake. Now, what our handshake involved was, when you go to shake hands, your pinky's in the lock, interlock. But if you're not doing it, you're not going to see it. It just looks like a normal handshake. And when I walked up to the person, we all knew it. And when the person leaned in to do it and they shook my hand, that was that. I listened to his plan, but I knew it wasn't him. I knew it wasn't a member of the pack. So what was cool was this guy went to walk off, staked him from behind. <laughs> he walked away. I staked him. And that person, I've never seen anybody happier to get done in because he was like what what gave it away how'd you know what happened i told him we have a secret handshake he's like get the fuck out of here it's so simple i was like yeah it is but it, it always works man and he was like oh like who like can you mind if i see he's like sure the very next person i walked up to was a guy who was with us that year he was he was all right um ryan and i w- walked right up to ryan and extended my hand out and he shook it just the way we showed him and fun part fun fun part fun part about it was ryan was just an asimite I was the anti-tribute. He was playing an Asimite that was allied with us, but we showed him the handshake for the same reason because we can change a handshake. But the point is, as a storyteller, do not overlook the simplistic nature of the Ignoblis Rite and encourage your players that when they read this guide or, you know, and I definitely hope you tell them to read this old book because it's good for it um, to at least get the origins down and ideas spinning that you got to create your own. Right. Because that's truly what's going to make your pack stand out. This book so far is transformative. It's how do I get from being the basic vampire Camarilla wise to the hardcore Sabat card carrying member? That's right. what this Absolutely. is about. And uh, they even talk about potential rituals, things that you can use to adapt to your own pack. That uh, things like confession, consecration rites, uh, you know, things of that nature. That uh, a pack creed, uh, oaths of fealty, uh, harvest rites. The harvest rites represent the mortal food supply. The rites are held to bless the hunt. And every time we've ever made a pack, whether it was for a tabletop game or a live action game, these are all things that when you make a character, you're creating a history for that character, and everything that your character's been through should color the way that you you exist within your pack and likewise we have a a recent example you're a priest in our in our most recent pack when we played uh where i was a dude from world war one oh yeah yeah we we decided to make uh our quote-unquote war pack and uh i i had a, a character that uh was embraced during the civil war and uh had spent time among native americans uh pre embrace and post embrace and so all of our rituals were sort of peppered with 
this like one part Native American and one part like Civil War, and then all of the different eras that we we basically we came together. You you had a character that was from World War One. We had a character that was uh, uh, embraced in the Vietnam era. I mean, we spent a we spent a day where we made our characters. Granted, and actually, we didn't even make our character. We just researched. Yeah what we can bring from the time periods we were in. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was the Battle of Verdun. I'm almost positive that's that was, was. That was where you, you had... I, uh, right. Right. You'd, you'd spent your time nine so, months in the trenches of Verdun. Exactly. Garroting Krauts. And, and, and the mortal half of it was I was a priest. So my whole job there was just literally to bring comfort to the soldiers who were going to go out and die. Right. And the Battle of Verdun was historic. Like, we lost so many people. Yeah, it's, it's one of the most... Uh, uh, one of the biggest battles in the history of human warfare. But it's trench warfare, right? Never seen again. But this dug-in trench mentality where people could die because when it rained, mudslides collapsed yeah, tunnels. If you want to know how bad the Battle of Verdun or World War One or World War Two was on France, just look up France's red zone. There are literally still places to this day where it is completely inhospitable because of all the unexploded, uh, undetonated ammunition and bombs and and what have you that reside there. The lead content it is a bad is a bad time. It's a bad time. Uh, but without getting too much into it, my guy was embraced off that battlefield. But because he got disjointed, basically he was losing. He lost his faith. He had been up for far too long tending to men who came to him for a blessing that literally an hour later would die in the battlefield, and he's given them their last rites. So he blessed them, and then he had to bury them. And there were too many dead to bury at one time. And he'd been there for nine months at this point of just constantly doing it. There was a gangrel anti-tribute who was going around feeding on the field of battle because nobody would ever catch her. And this is in Europe, so she had to keep the, her head down and keep it down low. And being France, you just heard, strongest population in Europe was France. She would pretend to be a nurse and come in and, and watch me. Now, why she did it was because she thought it was funny. She didn't do it because there's some romantic notion of I look just like someone she knew or something, well, romantic like that. She did it because it was entertaining to watch a priest lose his faith. <laughs> what are you doing in the battlefield? Only warriors, no bloodshed. And to watch me do it so much that um, the night I went to take a life, I picked up a bayonet and I had to kill a soldier who was blown in half and hadn't died yet. And he wasn't older than 17. He lied to get enlisted. And here he was. And I finally had to had to commit a cardinal sin. And right after I did it, my character loses his mind. She stepped in and embraced me and made me something else entirely. And what she did was she threw me. And by the way, this is convenience. She threw me in a hole and collapsed it so we could spend the day and not die. That held. When Nate hears this story, when we're conceptualizing the character, he's like, that's a fantastic creation, right? It's fantastic. Right. And we're like, oh, okay, what do you mean? That's our Pax Ignobis Rite. We dig this immense trench. Yeah. We live in it, and the whole pack goes in the ground with the people who are trying to join. Yeah, and this this was a this was a nomadic pack, and we'd go from city to city, and we would we would lay out our our <laughs> our warlike you know actually having participated in these horrible terrifying wars, receiving these these awful wounds, having to deal with this this horror. It painted our pack, it painted our pack to to a vast degree where our creation rates were different, our uh, our war games were different, all of these things, but they were the same. They were what, what the ignoble were, but painted to our pack. 
where you can feel the flavor. And that's that's the uniqueness we're talking about. When we mean transform your character, that's what we're talking about. Combine a little history with what you are now and make that the focal point to role play and sing out. And we're about to get into arguably one of the most favorite parts about this book beyond the rituals. Um, when we start talking about, well, let's see what's next. Uh, well, they talk about special customs, manner, address, etc. That's all stuff we just talked about. Um, they talk about when to use these rituals. Uh, you know, the summer solstice, uh, autumnal equinox, etc., etc. Really, whatever it feels good for your pack. Uh, and key, they, to, key to a good ritual: having a day that is a moment. Right. What do I mean by that? That it's something special about that day, and make that the ritual, the routine. Uh, they talk about Sabbat justice, um, and they have actually a little table here of things that uh, you could be found guilty of and what appropriate punishments would be. Uh, Give for, the in, for instance, uh, we have treason, found guilty of treason. A punishment would be torture and dismemberment, followed uh, with death by fire or walking the plank off of the top of a skyscraper. So that's, <laughs> that's cool shit. Right. You know, you, you have somebody like walk the plank. You're on the Sears Tower. Go fuck yourself. You're going to die. Right. You're not coming back from that. Uh, or, uh, for instance, at the very bottom of it, we have any display of cowardice. A blood feast for fellow pack members, but uh, usually left undead. So you you get hung from uh, the rafters, and the rest of your pack feeds on you. But, for the night. Right. Yep. They, they feast on your blood, and you get to sit there and be the food. And the symbology is, is that your food... If you're a coward, you're food, you're immortal. That's the insult. Or like uh, failure to accomplish an important mission. Your nose is cut off or you're permanently branded. It's pretty fucked up stuff. Yeah, that stuff is, the brutality is crucial. Yeah. Hang on one second. Come on. God damn it. Uh, next chapter. Da, 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 da. Character creation. Uh, yeah. Character creation is going to be basically the same as making a Camarilla character with the exception of a couple of things. One, you don't get backgrounds. Two, you get an additional discipline. These are things to represent, one, your lack of uh, ties to the mortal world because you're a member of the spot. You've been removed from that. Your ties are dead to you. But you spend a lot more time out Warren. There's your extra discipline. A couple of other things, too. They make a distinction in this book, and this may or may not hold up in later editions, but they make a distinction in this book that most of your Sabbat vampires, the vast majority of them, are going to be on a path of enlightenment. Right. Uh, and as such, they have um, they have different... Uh, blah, blah, blah. They have different uh, virtues. A flavor, path of enlightenment, just to keep continuity of thought. Humanity, camera of vampires. It's a gauge of how humane you are. Path of enlightenment, you have sacrificed your humanity, given it up to make peace with the beast to fall something right. else. And uh, in in uh, with a Camarilla vampire, with any other non-Sabat vampire, typically you're going to have uh, um, conscience, uh, courage, and... We're speaking of virtues at this right, point. Right, virtues. Sorry. Uh, you're going to have uh, your... God damn it, why am I forgetting them? I know why, because I can't instinct? think... Uh, no, well, instinct would be the other end here. Oh, you're talking about conscience, uh, self-control, and courage. Yeah, sorry. Again, my brain is a f giant ball of phlegm. Uh, but with the Sabbat, you're going to have different virtues. You're going to have callousness, instincts, and morale. As a Sabbat vampire, 
and this will change too to some degree. As a Sabbat vampire, you don't roll to resist frenzy, you roll to ride the wave of your frenzy. How well can you control yourself within the frenzy? Right. And uh, again, in later editions, they're going to make some alterations. So depending on the path, uh, you know, you may frenzy, you may resist frenzy, but in here, at the creation of these these uh, paths of, of virtue, it's just riding the wave. That's that's right. what you get. Uh, then, of course, you get your last touches, which are, you know, willpower. You pick your path of enlightenment. You got your freebie points. And then it, they talk about making the pack and, and uh, you know, the viniculum. And then now, for the first time, dun, dun, dun. we get the first solid description of those uh, illustrious clans, the Sombra and the Shamase. And, uh, you know, we'll let you read those. I mean, we, we talked quite a bit right, about them. We've talked about them. We've talked about their special, uh, their special disciplines and uh, what they represent. But this is the first time we get to see them in print, on paper, what they are, where they come from, etc. You know, I know we, we didn't. We talked about Las Sombras in Children of Inquisition. Right. And we said later we'll talk about it. Right. And we talked, well, we can do it again because there is their claim book. Yeah. But yeah. in this book, they mention... Well, how about this, Nate? What is the Lasombra to the Sabbat? The Lasombra to the Sabbat, uh, they are the leaders of the Sabbat. They are the de facto highest echelon leaders. They talk about the Lasombra's histories. They talk about their appearance. Um, you know, we learn that most of them are Spanish or Italian ancestry. Um, we talk about their havens and some of the backgrounds that they have. And they talk about character creation. And we learn about their weakness. They can't be, uh, they, they have no reflection in mirrors. I found that fascinating. Yeah. I thought that was one of the coolest weakness. It's like an actual original vampiric curse. Right. That White Wolf acknowledged and put in print for a clan. And that's that's really cool. Um, and uh, th these are additional things that are, are, you know, influenced by Bram Stoker and, uh, you know, Dracula, Count Dracula, and uh, same thing with the Shamasay. They talk about how the Shamasay they need to sleep in the soil yep. of their homeland. Uh, you know that's that's a an old school vampiric uh, weakness as well. They talk about the organization and um, the paths that that uh, the are preferred for the Lasombra. And uh, then they, they a decent amount of information in a general fashion, yeah, about they, the Lasombra clan enough to play them by far. And and this book is really great too because it gives you in almost every chapter there's one where it talks about stereotypes, like what does this faction think about this faction? What does this clan think about this clan? These are really great tools to help you to role play that character. And if you've never played a member of the Sabbat, if you've never played a Lasombra. You know, everybody wants to make a unique character, but sometimes it's easier to start with that stereotype to know, like, okay, what is this clan about? How do I start with this clan the way that it was it was written and designed, and then grow from there, then branch my trees in different Making directions? Character is a sculptor, right? It's a sculpting. So imagine you got a big block of marble and you're trying to make a statue out of it, and it's got to be a Lasombra. Well, here's your black marble, and here's the, here's the stereotypes. Out of the stereotypes, what are you going to make? Now, what a stereotype serves as, it does not mean you have to play your character like that to the letter. It does mean your character has to be some type of way about it. For instance, the Lasombra, it is often thought that they view the Zemis as sort of secondary. That they're there and they have their purpose, but they're not really on their level. Fine, that's well and good for the Lasombra as a whole, but what do you, your character as a Lasombra, have, have you even met a Zemis yet? What, what type of way are you going to think about? Do you even care? 
And that's for you to define because if you use a stereotype as the crutch to be your role play, what you're going to do is trip up. Eventually you're going to have something you're going to get caught up in that. Uh, and what I mean by that is if all the Sombra are supposed to hate um, these pandas or supposed to not like the pandas and you got a member in your pack that is a pander, well, how do you resolve that? If you're supposed to hold to that stereotype, are you just going to pick a fight and disrupt game because you didn't think it through on what that meant to your character? Or are you going to resolve in yourself and say, okay, I was told about, like, I look at it this way. When I make a Lissomber character, at least in this example, I go, all right, this is what I've been told. This is, this is somebody else's experience and words into what they were told or they did experience regarding these people and these things. How am I going to let that influence me? You know, because it always does, right? Things you hear about other people before you meet that person, they do in a way color your expectations or where you see where they're at. You try not to let it affect you, or at least not, not let it show that it affects you. And then you meet them, you're either pleasantly surprised or you're shocked at how true it is. But you let them hang themselves, usually. So that's what you got to do with the character. It's what I do. And then I define how I feel about them and every step of that that means. And from Los Sombra, we jump to the Zemis. Now to get, I always get into it a little bit more. <laughs> you good? All right. We found out that only the Dukes of Hazard are good at sliding across cars, people. And so <laughs> Nate just learned that. So you had the you had the Zemis. Pardon me, I'm a hot mess today. Holy jeez. You have the Zemis clan, and the Zemis, um, they're they're sobriquet, uh, their nickname. Fiends. Uh, they're fiends. Why are they called fiends? Plainly. The Zemis are the nightmare creature monsters of the Sabbat because they are not many clans pretend to be brutal or be sure what have you. The Zemis invented it. They become it literally. Their claim to fame is vicissitude. It's a blood power that enables the flesh of their own bodies or anyone else's to be as clay to them, to become weapons, to become beautiful, to be hideously disfigured, to disable someone to torture them. They can do all that. What a what a departure from some of the other disciplines that are out there. Like, what a revelation these must have been. Like, wow, these are really cool. But, but look at the power it comes from, right? So the Lissombra control shadows. And you may be thinking, eh, because they're not shadows, are they? No. From somewhere else, somewhere that invented darkness, where the idea, as, as humans, we have the vaguest conception of what the Lissombra control every time we turn off all the lights. We sleep in it, it's a comfort. The shadows the Sombra summons that calls to their blood, this stuff is romantically abysmal. It's, it's the abyss is the origins of it. And the abyss is hungry. It's hungry for life. And the Sombra, for some reason, are able to control it with their very blood. It's their birthright. It's also their power to do dramatic things, to become a thing of shadow yourself. It's where nothing can harm you. To, to slink into any place a shadow can get into. Um, to sidestep at higher levels, to go from one shadow to another in the blink of an eye, to summon otherworldly tendrils that can grab, crush, and defend you as needed. That's a power. Right. That's a one-man show. And then you flip to the Zemis, who can become a nine-and-a-half-foot-tall, bat-winged monstrosity out of Bram Stoker's own Dracula with the strength and flight to boot. And that's horrendous. But that can, by the way, depending on how powerful they are, look at you and change the very dynamic of your flesh. Right. That is a monster. Their customs are terrifying. 
the Zamis have a, have a thing. They're known for anything other than being fiends. They're known for being polite. They're known for being incredibly polite. You do not just simply show up to a Zamis estate. To do so means that you are not a guest. If you are not a guest, then you're a subject. They're able to do with you whatever they choose to. They don't care about your rank when this happens, by the way. Right. You would have the power to stop them, or they will have your flesh. Right. However, if you're a guest, that Zamis master will die before they allow you to be marred, harmed, upset, hungry. They go out of the way to take care of you. And that level of hospitality is the definition of the Zamis clan. Because it, it, think about it. How do you take something completely monstrous, devoid of anything human and alien, and how do you make that approachable and horrific even more? Oh, well, you give them a level of, clearly they understand what they are because look at how hospitable they are and how polite they are. Just that level of, you know, hmm, come in. And are you hungry? <laughs> right. In, in my letter I sent for you. You know, I mean, just have, have fun. And you're like, okay, I'm going to sit down. And then have someone else show up. Hey, I'm uh, the pizza guy. Came at the wrong. Eat that motherfucker. You know, like, you know, just <laughs> right. holy shit. You know, what a change, you know. And that's the type of, that's, that's their way. Right. Those are the pillars. Uh, it goes on to describe all of the other anti-tribute clans as well. The Asimite anti-tribute, which we've talked about. I mean, uh, we don't we don't need to get like no. super detailed into all these because again, we've pretty much already described them. We agreed to refuse to go through the Zemis and Lasan right. easy, but the rest of them, they're good. Yeah, the no, descriptions definitely. tell you, and they have clan books. Right, <laughs> they do have clan books, and they give you. Uh, the important details we've already discussed, the Malkavian anti-tribute, the fact that they have their own discipline aside, outside of the dominate that the Malkavians have in the Camaroa. They're considered their own bloodline, uh, the Nosferatu, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You uh, did all them. Yeah. All them, though. And uh, the Serpents of the Light, you probably want to read over because they're they're uh, a little bit different than we've gone over them. Yeah, I would say distinctly, read the Serpents of the Light section and get that flavor we were talking about. That flavor is so important to make them different. Read the Ravno Anti Tribute. Their flavor is needed. So are the Venture Anti. So are the Torter Anti. Right. The ones that are kind of like, eh, they're, they're different, but not really. Because think about it this way. If I tell you I'm a Camarilla and Nosferatu, you get an idea of what a Nosferatu is. There are low humanity Nosferatu that have pretty, they're pretty dark and pretty <laughs> right. scary. Yeah. Now, if I had Anti Tribute to that, you're probably going to think, oh, well, you must be the Nosferatu that would get blood hunted in a Camarilla city that won't be blood hunted in the Sabbat. Well, that's true. <laughs> but you still hang out in dark places like the sewers and whatnot or wherever you want and, and do stuff and, and you like secrets? Well, yeah. We also like chainsaws. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. So, and that's what we're talking about right. here. Like, it's like, it, it's, not, it's not apples to oranges here. It's apples to apples and just understanding one's more rotten than the other. Right. And uh, then our next chapter, we talk about our paths. And this is the the one thing that you're really going to want to read as an individual, as a player, and as a storyteller, so that you really understand these differences between following the path of humanity or being humane and following a uh, a path of enlightenment, which is a distinctly different, wholly different uh, ideology and uh, set of principles. I remember having late night arguments uh, with people at games that asked me to play a Sabat member who then regretted the path they told me to roleplay. Uh, because when you're on a path, you think from the ideology of that. Unlike when we were telling you 
Um, we were talking about vaniculums and how you can kind of decide if it's love or not. You know, you kind of make your flavor of it. You know, your idea, your stereotypes you follow, you make your flavor of that. Pats, their ideologies are lock stock. Right. They're not to be violated. Right. Because they determine the process of going from humanity to a path is traumatizing because it's a slippery slope. That term is used. What a slippery slope means is you can slide off it very quickly, but you're always fighting to climb up it. And that's what humanity is. So if you're embraced by a va- as a vampire tonight, you have to make peace with the fact that you're going to outlive everyone else. Right. And the beauty, the beauty part about following these paths is they will give you a very clear cut do's and don'ts, ethics, things that are, uh, you know, how, like, for instance, um, one of the ethics of the paths of Cathari, which is uh, really about um, uh, material gain and exploring uh, the ins and outs of, of ecstasy and, and et cetera. You know, they talk about how you, you should create a new vampire without hesitation. You are damning them, but immortal life is really not that bad. Like it, it tells you, like so, this is these are things that you should do. These are your ethics. So these pausing are, right there, you gotta understand that you have to read these because you can't short these. Right? No, you can't. The idea that we're gonna talk about them, I would love to get into them, but I don't know if you're trying to get past them. But the very fact fact is, is that these short synopsis of them, th- the do's and don'ts only make sense if you read the whole synopsis right. because if you get the impression that a catharsis is a guy that likes to party a lot and owns a lot of stuff, you've missed it. I'd love to get into them, but I don't want to turn this into a three and a half hour podcast. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> you know, so, so it, it, this is one of those things that's very important as a player and as a storyteller to read through these. Then we'll get into it this part, this much. That analogy I was using about that slippery slope. Yeah. We haven't talked about humanity like that. No. We haven't even compared it. We just said, you try to be humane as a vampire. That's the horror of it, blah, blah, blah. We went through it. The passion of it, in particular from the comments that have been left. You've probably been having these debates to yourself. Really, how bad can you get on humanity? You know, what's what's the mark? Where's the magical number that makes it to where, you know, really, I should probably tell this guy to leave. Well, I want you to find that mark. Get in your head. Take a minute. And now I want you to dive past zero. Because, and what actions that means. Right. So if zero is a depraved, bloodthirsty lunatic out to do anything to get more blood period right and it has to be put down into monster the sabbat cultivate that in you to get you to go there to then tell you there's another way here are the ideologies that we think you would be best suited to follow on and in yourself you have to trans you have to make peace with the monster in you and groove to a different way of thinking completely change it and when we're talking these paths Every single one of them give you a new humanity to follow. It's the best way to put it because they need to follow exactly what's in this book on that stuff because that otherwise you're not going to see it. Right. You'll have what I've had many a time as a storyteller players who can't possibly conceive of what it would be to think like the ideology they picked. They have no way to portray it. And so they're just being people with a shitty excuse to run around and be violent vampires. There's no, and there's no excuse for that because as Nate said in Cathari, yes, you want materialistic things. You want to live life in the flesh because you don't care. You feel that you were made a monster because that's what this whole world is. We're all varying degrees of flesh. 
in different stages of life. And then later on when we die, who cares? Because your spirit then has its whole other thing to get into. So for now, be this way, accept who you are, embrace the monster in you, and don't hold it in check. That's the important thing. Live it up. And then you'll find it to be a more acceptable existence. That's, there's a truth there, is it not? Right. And also there's more, there's much more motivation to master your path of enlightenment than there is to be a master of your humanity. Right. Like, no one ever tries to be more humane or less humane. Unless they had some tragedy in their life, you know, they hit somebody with a car, they're like, fuck, I'm going to regret this for the rest of my life, I need to do everything I can to be great, you know, be virtuous. That's not really a goal for people, to be more humane. I, 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 yeah. For, I, for, I for people, a, your average, sure. Right, for, and, and that's, that's what above. I'm referencing. There's, there's rise above. Right, but th- this, this is changing your whole dynamic, your whole perspective. So you want to be a, a, a paragon of your belief system. You want to be the best possible thing you can be because it represents a mastery over your beast. An example on humanity... I might want to help out Sally Struthers and cure. I may, I may be in Africa like Sally with Sally Struthers, and I want to cure hunger for this village. That's humanity. I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to rise above. I'm doing my part. I'm there. Let's say I'm on a path of enlightenment, and we'll go with path of harmony. Path of harmony states that I, as a harmonist, I literally want to be as I am and not deny it. So rather than cure that hunger, I'm going to treat this this village. And I'm just going to feed them. I'm going to feed them normal food. I'm going to make sure they get a means to sustain themselves and help them do that. But then I'm also going to turn them into my herd and a herd for any other vampire around because we need to eat too. And I'm going to let these people know that you get a Big Mac today because I'll be eating you later. (laughs) Right. And don't forget, here's your apple. Don't forget your oranges. Right. Livers for dinner. We got to keep that iron up. And that's how different it would be though. Right. Like to the Camarilla, what the fuck are you doing? Right. To the Sabbat. Oh, of course he's a harmonist. They usually make good people to cultivate blood slaves. Yeah, good right. job. And that's and that's the difference. They're, they're alien way of thinking. And as a storyteller, if you listen to this, you wonder why the Sabbat are important. What's the distinction? Everything we mentioned up to this point, sure, valid. As a sect, as an obligatory group that maybe they'll get talked about. If you want to get into an individual villain and you want to know how that villain's going to be, try tackling a villain on Path of Evil Revelations. It's not a Sabbat ideology, but it's an alternate path to follow. Right. That they they mention in this uh, book. And they make the distinction, this should not be played by, uh, by this should not be uh, used by players, which uh, begs the question, why is it in the player's guide? But that's neither here nor there. A uh, player's guide, and I, I kind of get the logic, because they give a little warning in the book, right? Mm-hmm. And here are the secrets to the Sabbat and what they deal with and what goes on. Right. To read, it's a great read. You definitely learn a lot more about the Sabbat. If you're going to be a player, it's great for that. Warning. Spoiler alert, they, they do mean that <laughs> right. because we mentioned Inquisitors. We can't mention Inquisitors without what they're fighting. I may want to play a player that is on Path of Evil or Revelations and want to tell it to the storyteller. Here's my great idea. Here's, here's what I want to do. Right. Why they have that warning in there? Because White Wolf is cheeky. They always have been. There's been several different points where they're like, we really don't want players to have it, but we know it's something super cool that people want to know about. So here it is. Right. All right, Path of Harmony, we talked about that, and um, well, we could skip it as much as I desperately wanted to get to all that, I understand. Yeah. We can't. I'm fading fast here. 
<laughs> then uh, we move on to our Sabbat traits. And uh, these are uh, new abilities that are unique to the Sabbat, merits and flaws that are unique to the Sabbat, backgrounds. You can read all that at your leisure. That's uh doesn't really uh, warrant getting into too deeply. Um, Against another group of distinctions. Lores. Then, of course, we have the new disciplines, dementation. We have uh, the uh, vicissitude. We have um, uptenebration. And we have some new thaumaturgical things, some new thaumaturgical rituals. Uh, new path of, of thaumaturgy, gift of Morpheus. That deals with dreams, obviously. And then uh, some of the rituals that we talked about earlier, uh, Blood Rush, Domino of Life, which allows you to uh, mimic certain aspects of, of being alive. Uh, and some of these are, are very classic. Uh, illuminate the Trail of Prey, Machine Blitz. You can go through here and, and read those uh, for your own for your own edification. And then uh, finally, they talk about what, what we were mentioning earlier, uh, instincts and callousness, morale. And the frenzy and, uh, the, you know, they talk about uh, you, you don't have conscience, self-control, and courage. We've already talked about this uh, earlier, just a few chapters ago. But what is the, what were the, we didn't really get into what they were. We just said they were replaced. Um, okay. Yeah, we can, we can talk about those. Uh, so again, we mentioned the virtues. So if in Vampire, in Vampire, you have a system of virtues that the storyteller monitors the player role plays uh, to ensure that they're portraying their character accordingly. In a more moralistic fashion. Yeah, conscience, self-control, courage. So Those conscience your... is having a conscience, scale one through five. Five being Jesus, and one being, well, uh, the, the worst human being alive uh, of conscience. You know, self-control, literally, impulse control, self-control, maintaining a hold of yourself and your instincts and all. Or I'm using it to so stuck in my head. But basically, um, self-control is stopping the beast, holding it back. This is the stat that you're going to roll, or yeah that you're going to roll to stop yourself from frenzying represents your hold on yourself, thus self-control. Then you have courage and courage is your ability to face down those banes of existence as a vampire. So courage is most often used only for that. This is not a role. And I, as storytellers don't, please don't ever do this. If, if a big bad surprise happens in the middle of the room, don't have somebody roll courage to see if they run away. Okay. That's not what that's for. That cur- I mean, it, you know, it's your game, do you, it makes it fun, but honestly, that becomes slapstick at a point. Courage is supposed to be your ability to stand down the stuff that could kill the beast. The virtues are ideally beast-centric, the balance between you and your beast. Now, the Sabbat stands then on its head, because remember, we're different now. We've right. divorced ourselves from those concepts, and we're into their antithesis. So if I did... Uh- we we have uh, uh, conscience for conscience. We have callousness, and um, the callousness it defines your character's ability to face down uh, vile and cruel nature of vampires. Um, yeah, it, it's being able to watch brutal acts or uh, you know such as murder or torture. It defines uh, your vengefulness, your capacity for cruel cruelty. Uh, your arbitrary nature and inability to understand humans. And then they give you the description. That's an important point too. I apologize. But uh, remember the rating scales one through five. When you go transition to a path, you're going to have a lower rating. Yeah. Because you have to grow into your path. Yeah. They, they indicate in this book, you start with one in each uh, dot, you know, a dot in each of the, the virtues, but then you only get five to spend as opposed to seven. And that represents having to wear down 
your virtues, having to wait, wear down uh, your humanity and, and losing that. Because you don't wait till you're on one humanity to switch. You start doing the switch right about three. Humanity four to th- four to three. Any, and that's you better be getting those virtues down now because your beast is bane, as it said. Uh, so they talk about like some of the the different uh, different descriptors. Um, with one, you're considered viciously cruel. With two, you're considered inhumane and sadistic. We get to five, you're totally corrupt and vile. Uh, we have instinct. Instinct replaces self control. Uh, it it doesn't. The virtue describes how attuned your character is to the beast inside of you. Unlike self control. Uh, a character with instinct is not the one who thinks through the situations or practices self-discipline. Instead, you rel- rely on the instincts of the beast. So this is basically, we're not trying to avoid frenzy. We're trying to guide that beast to where we want to guide it to. And again, they talk about riding the wave. And, uh, you know, they go from one dot where you have very few instincts to five where you are the beast. You and your beast are are one. You're in unison. And then, of course, we have morale. Terrifying thought there. Right. Exactly. We have morale, which replaces courage. And this is used for the basically the same purpose. It's to avoid uh, Roshrek. It's to avoid the fear frenzy. And uh, they talk about your morale. With one, you're considered bold. With five, you're considered uh, valorous. Your 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 morale is undaunting. Uh, for everything else, it's basically the same. Your willpower, your blood pool, those are all used the same. And then they talk about uh, using the virtues, um, you you know, frenzying with the successes of your bl- of your role, uh, induced by hunger or bloodlust. Basically, all the same stuff that you know we we've already explored in previous books. Right. Uh, tips on playing Sabat characters. Um, it's just a couple of paragraphs. Just keep messaging us; we'll help you. <laughs> right. <laughs> just it's be- probably better than that section anyway. And uh, then we go on to chapter six, which is Sabat templates. And this isn't something we're going to spend a lot of time on, but those are worth it. Right. It- it's definitely worth reading. So again, you get a flavor of a character. This is these are the same things that you'd find in the back of the clan books. My recommendation: if you're going to play a Camarilla game, Anarch game, Sabat game, take all the templates you can find from the books, including what's in the clan books, and Put them in one book and hand them to your players. Have them, you know, thumb through it, looking up a concept to think of what they want to play. And you'll have a faster process, more thorough process. I've never done it. I'm just saying that that's an ideal <laughs> I've always wanted to do. And I think it phenomenally help players. Well, in a way, I have. There's the library. I'm staring at it. They're all in there. Right. You know what you want to play. Thumb through and look at it. And uh, they, they have their pre-made, ready-made characters. Uh, you can add your own little individual flares to them, but uh, uh, they go through, you know, the panders, serpents of the light, etc. So you have one for pretty much anything you want. Everything you want. And then we get to the next chapter, <laughs> the last chapter, the appendix. Unusual weapons for vampires. I'm going to state this. You'll never see this again. I mean, this is this is here for com- not comedic value. You can use these items if you want. But uh, I think on the previous, we ran across some specific items, right? And we were like, you know, hey, just make sure you use them for chronicle specific needs. Yeah. I can't highlight it enough. Well, and they, they have uh, <laughs> they have just like normal. I, I use normal with quotes. They have normal weapons, things like chainsaws and machetes, and they give you rules for those. Great. Uh, Who was, the fuck is going to use it? You're a Sabat member. You're going to use a chainsaw. Well, it does strength plus seven damage, Bob. So right. in our power game, yes, I'm going to use the chainsaw. But, but it's a difficulty eight to use. 
I, I remember trying to use a chainsaw. You know what happened? Uh, maybe you botched. I didn't use it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, someone used it on me. Uh-huh. It's like it was a. We had a tabletop player versus player fight, and said Elder was going to beat my ass. Said, you know what? I'm just going to chop you up. I distinct the player grabbed the chainsaw. He has to roll on eights. I'm rolling on sixes to dodge. Who do you think won the fight? Probably not the guy with the unwieldy chainsaw. I brew hop punched him into oblivion. Just box the <laughs> shit out of him. Why? Because the rules don't add up. You got a psychotic chainsaw user. Yeah. Uh, well, then we get into, uh, which seems to be a running theme in some of these first and second ed books, the odd and quote-unquote juggling magical uh, weapons section. And uh, normally we don't go into these too much, but we there are a couple of ones that are pretty funny, like Talbot's Chainsaw. That funny. That yeah. thing is awesome. Yeah. But again, it's a plot device, right, isn't it? Right, and it, and it definitely can be. It's like they, they don't give you like stats for these. These are just like things like, hey, this is something you can use. If you want to use it, use it. If you don't, don't. But Like Aaron's Feeding Razor is one of the cooler items I've seen. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know I was a Sabat thing. Um, it was just a cool magic item because what it does is it allows you to cut someone open and feed from them, and it closes the wound, doesn't it? Oh, like read it. It does something like that. Something with feeding because it's supposed to be a vampire who can't feed normally. A Malkavian who despised having to touch people created this magic razor blade in the early 17th century with which to draw blood. He preferred not to drink directly from vessels for fear of having them dirty him. The razor has been passed along for many years and supposedly has the power to choose victims with pure virgin blood, which was Aaron's favorite. The blood is also believed to have the power to cause the blade is also believed to have the power to cause aggravated wounds. So it is what it is, depending on what you want it to be. I'm uh, thinking of a uh, jihad, the card game. Yeah, well, yeah, right yeah of course. My bad. Yeah, well, it's a card game. That makes but that's still <laughs> it's still cool that it's in there. Yeah. Um. Uh, there's a whole bunch of them. We have some giant's blood, the hand of Conrad. Anyways, it's not something I would really use in a game, but could the be hand cool. of Conrad. I forgot about that. It's so good. <laughs> so good. And then that's pretty much it. And we go on to the index and the convenient little character sheet in the back. And that, my friends, is a Sabat player's guide. I'm sad and I can't wow you with my knowledge of passive enlightenment some other time. But uh, hey, don't forget, that. we're going to have an entire freaking book oh yeah to paths of enlightenment so we probably could have passed up something a then. large book not not like a 60 page book a large book a, a yeah that goes into great detail about we'll have you guys abandoning your humanity in no time and again as much as i want to get into those paths of humanity we have to remember this is the first sabbat book so yep. a lot of this stuff is going to change so it doesn't really bear talking about to a great deal just like hey this is what it is this book is the the very beginning of the, the sabbat it's it's a complete revelation to everything that had been alluded to previously and is now ironed out for you in book form i read this so, one quite a bit yeah it's it's a great book it's a great book from any perspective and again some of the information in here is going to be outdated it's going to be old but if you've never played the sabbat this is a really great start to get to know what the sabbat has to offer i have heat marks on the front of my splat book because of how many times this book's been just used and yeah. told and God, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's a great book. So definitely check it out. I think you can get it online on paperback for like three bucks. So it's definitely worth having just from a collector sense. If you want to pick up a PDF, you, you can get that too. Very cheap, very inexpensive. So it's a good book, especially like I said, if you've never played Sabat, if you don't have any prior knowledge, uh, go ahead and pick it up. Anyways, 
I think we're going to wrap up the podcast there. My yep. head is a giant ball of cement, and it is very difficult for me to think. <laughs> but uh, we appreciate you listening. This podcast is, uh, well, it's, it's significantly longer than normal. Yes, it is. Uh, so we, we hope you enjoyed it. Hopefully it didn't bore you or drag on too long. If you liked it, please let us know. If you didn't, let us know. We definitely love your criticism, and we love your comments. So please keep them coming. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we do see them, and obviously we try to include them in the cast. So just uh, yeah, and uh, we're we're usually pretty good about responding to them as well. So you know, feel free, keep them coming. We we definitely love your input. So uh, until next week, I'm Nathan and I'm Bob, and uh, together we are Archbishops. We will see you next week. <laughs> the psychedelic jackets on the record album have their own hidden symbols and messages, as well as all the lyrics of all the top rock songs. And they all sing the same refrain. It's fun to take a trip. Put acid in your veins.